Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to freedom, Open the Voice Gate for December 7th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red boxes that sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, joining alongside, as always, Case Low. In Case, it is the first Corkin of December. The home stretch is here, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, Drangate has had a a real knack for booking some of their biggest shows during my busiest weeks of the year this year. Dangerous Gate uh, was during a a pretty hellacious work period for me. Kobe World Weekend fell on one of the busiest weekends of the year for me. And now they have this incredible four-show stretch, starting with the triple shot in Hokkaido, and then this Cork and Hall show that was free for everybody to watch, which I will reemphasize a few different times throughout this podcast, that if you have not seen that show, it is free on the Gate Network. And if for some reason this is your first time listening to this show, I wrote a preview for that show and everything you need to know about it on voicesofwrestling.com. So you can read that, watch the show, then come back here and listen to us break it down. But once again, Drangate has decided to load up a bunch of stuff on a weekend, uh, on a week rather, that is very stressful for me. But luckily, Drangate brought some peace and tranquility into my life because uh, there's so much good stuff to talk about today. Before we get to that, how are you doing? You know, I am hanging in there. Uh, second show of the day had a massive technical snafu happening during that. And I, I Casey, you work in a similar industry. Are you someone that like one thing can start steamrolling? So I am trying to do whatever I can to will 
the internet goblins to get us through this in one recording here tonight? Oh, I handle technical difficulties horribly because whether it's fair to myself or not, I view any technical difficulty as being unprepared. I feel like I should know more than the computer and I should be able to anticipate these issues happening and prevent them. So when they don't, it ruins my day. I mean, 100%. Like if I, if I was in the situation that you were in this afternoon, I would be in a very foul mood for this podcast. But, you know, it's impossible to be in a foul mood with the week that Dragon Gate had. It is something that th- their schedule this month, it's been insane is putting it like uh, just for just to get a sense of what the last week was for Dragon Gate. They were up and and I forgot what they did to close out uh, last month, but they, they, they would have started. Let's just start from Friday. Guys. Three shows in three days in Hokkaido. Do you know how you get to Hokkaido? You, you can't. There's not like a tunnel to, to Hokkaido. You have to take a plane to Hokkaido. So you have that in the travel days. And then on Tuesday, they had this Cork and Hall show. And then now they have like another three more shows this week. And this is after the Okinawa uh, triple shot. Insane yeah. travel days. Yeah, it's a, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday this weekend uh, with Yamaguchi on Friday, a Kyoto KBS Hall show, which will obviously be on the Dragon Gate Network on Saturday, and then a show in Nagoya, UT Homecoming show, which will again be broadcast free on the Dragon Gate Network. That's a nice treat because, you know, Nagoya is a market where they don't run, I guess I'll use air quotes TV anymore. These shows are obviously either uploaded to YouTube or we get these director cuts after the fact on Drangate Network, but we'll get a full live Nagoya show, which is a crucial market for Drangate. You know, that's a place where UT is from, where SB Kento's from, uh, Dragon Kid is from Aichi, the prefecture. It, there's there's a lot of big stars from that that market. And especially when SB Kento is in Japan, obviously he's off in North America right now, but when SB Kento's there, we market we we follow their attendance rather pretty closely because SP Kento was uh, definitely a local draw there. He's not here this time, but uh, like you said, it's the 9th, 10th, and 11th this weekend. And then the next Friday is another Cork and Hall show. And then that Sunday is Gate of Origin, which if it was, you know, uh, an afterthought in years past, I can't imagine what it's going to be this year. Sandwiched in between a Cork and Hall show and then Final Gate on Christmas Day. Yeah, so it's a wild end of dragon gates 2022 they go dark traditionally after that kobe sambo hall show they'll be back on january 7th the calendar is a little bit strange this year because usually they start into like usually january 10th is the start of dragon gates calendar year but i guess with the schedules it's all gotten really wild so this week on the program we will touch on hokkaido case and i were talking but before the show about sometimes we're way past it Hokkaido very fun weekend some important things happen but we are way past that and we will be talking a lot about the fantastic gate 2022 December 6 cork and this one they called this one the fan appreciation one this year case yeah I felt appreciated afterwards this is exactly what I wanted from a Drangate cork and hall show we we have been having this conversation we've had it with jay on this podcast you know who obviously does english commentary for drangate there's been this weird pattern that drangate has fallen into in 2021 and in parts of this year where you know it's the hokkaido shows that are great it's there's a great kobe sambo hall show there's a great osaka number two show 
And then sometimes the big shows don't always live up to the hype. I mean, the, the most eyeballs that were on the promotion this year was the Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary show in Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival, which were box office failures. And, you know, I, I think I liked those shows maybe more than others, but they weren't phenomenal shows by any means. And then these Cork and Hall shows have, have oftentimes been good, but not great this year. But we got a great Cork and Hall show on December 6th. Absolutely, we did. And we had a lot of big events that we will be talking about when we get to Corkin. But before we get there, the Hokkaido triple shot, this was the Sanko Derby series that they had up there. Of course, uh, we talked about this last week when, when we talk about Okinawa and Hokkaido. When Dragon Gate does these shows, it, it they will run multiple days just because logistically, look at a map of Japan, look at where Sapporo is, look at where the main island is. You, you, you kind of... When you travel up there, you're going to make it worth your while. So they did three shows, as they usually do, from the Sapporo Ione Indoor Soccer Arena. And Case, I know that with you, with work, you've been kind of crunched here. But we're going to talk about the title matches, because a lot of the stuff that happened on the undercard through these Hokkaido shows, all really fun, quick watches, a lot like how Okinawa was two weeks ago. You, you, you could zoom through it, but a lot of what happened on this uh, weekender immediately it was followed up and answered in Corkin. So we're just going to talk about the title stuff and maybe it's a couple big picture moments from that. But case, uh, when we look at Sapporo and we look at Hokkaido, you, you look at what they did there and it's something where when you have these weekends, we, we always talk about like the fan tours and stuff like this, but drawing what they've done it, and the way it grew throughout the weekend, it was not just people traveling to Hokkaido to see the hometown shows. It looked like that there was a significant draw from the local population to show up to cheer for Hulk and KZ. I love these shows. This is perhaps my favorite market that Drangate has right now because they moved into this venue in December of 2020. That was the first triple shot they ran in this indoor soccer stadium. And I don't know, do you remember those 2020 shows well? It was it was this weekend uh, two years ago. Yeah, that was the one where they did the indoor soccer competition to fill time. <laughs> I believe so. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, those shows have always stuck in my head as being some of my favorite Drangate spot shows that there have been in many, many years. And, and part of that was we were very much in, you know, this is the tail end really of, of generational warfare, you know, Team Drangate versus Team Torimon versus RED. There was a lot of stuff there. This was the Takato Kamei coming out weekend, where I think you and I both were obviously huge fans from the jump, but he had phenomenal stuff for all three shows there, notably a Masato Yoshino and Takato Kamei versus Eita and Hyo match that I remember loving. And then that was the first weekend of Masquerade, and they weren't officially Masquerade at this point. It was just Daya, Jason, Kota, and Shun Skywalker teaming together, and they just had these kick-ass matches on all three shows, and that spiraled into the Cork and Hall show where La Estrella debuted, and they officially got their branding. But ever since those shows that were so much fun and had so many great matches on them, I've always been incredibly partial to these shows the building might look like shit it is supposedly freezing cold in there especially well obviously during the shows in december but i just loved 
I love this market. I love the King of Gate shows there. And from what I saw of these three shows, I did not watch everything, but from what I saw, I really, really liked what I saw. Yeah, it was kind of a continuation of Okinawa without the Riku Dragon uh, participation on there. But it, but you, you gave up that, but you also got to bring along, like, Kaito Nakano got, was on this. Ishin was not in Okinawa. Ishin was on every single show this weekend. So it, it, it was a trade that I think worked out. Uh, some of the stuff from the undercard that I really enjoyed on the first night, they... They had uh, they reran Jason Lee and Shun Skywalker, and that was a good bit of fun. The, the, there's always one overarching storyline throughout an Okinawa week. In case you talked about in December 2020, that was Takedo Kame making his big step forward, and you talk about May 2021, that was the launch of Hyo and the Big Brain. This weekend was Don Fuji uh, being 52 years old and loving it was kind of the theme of this weekend. Did you did you see what uh, Don Fuji was doing by the 4th? Yes, I watched the entire... Well, no, not by the 4th, I guess. I would have watched the first show, which was on the 2nd. No, what was Don Fuji up to this weekend? Because the only thing that I saw from him was him beating Mochizuki Jr. and Mochizuki Jr. falling back like JFK, who just got his head blown off. Oh, Don Fuji became more he's he he teamed with ada and that of course gives don fuji the idea after doing mochi fuji the first night the second night he teamed with ada which was okay we're uh, immediately going to plunder and just uh, you know they were going against strong machine j and jason lee and they just were brutalizing them i mean you see where that goes but the real delight was on night three where don fuji decided that he wanted to dress up as uh at sushi anita <laughs> I, oh my god i completely missed that i gotta yeah, go back yeah. and watch that uh, like with the bandage on his forehead wearing the uh, t-shirt with the sleeves cut off but it was obviously the baseball style t-shirt you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 and as jay put, pointed out on commentary speaking after the fact he wore like a, a 700 pair of jeans <laughs> he is a hokkaido mvp of the weekend <laughs> oh god that is good stuff yeah, so the, those were the kind of stuff that were really happening on these Hokkaido shows. There was build-up for Yoshioka and Mochizuki. We'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, a lot of preview matches with Yamato and Dragon Kid with Yoshida and Problem Dragon. And, but really what it kind of became the crux of across this weekend was a series of title matches that each one on each night either had uh, KZ or BB Hulk, both of them, uh, Hulk is a Sapporo native. Uh, Casey's from Abetsu, which is basically a suburb of it. And then on the last night, they had a a title match with both of them in it. So the box office uh, commiserated the fact that not only were they celebrating the hometown guys, they made sure to put them in matches that mattered rather than just made up uh, trophy matches, basically. I, I just have to say, I just saw the Don Fuji get up, and I, I cannot believe I missed this. That is five stars. It is, it, he is someone that you take him to Okinawa, he's going to break out the old mad blanky zombie, zombie veteran getup. You take him to Hokkaido in the middle of the winter, and he's going to think that he is a Sushi Onita from 1996. Don Fuji, low-key cosplay king. And it's a very specific thing he pulls off there, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's not later day, it's not modern sushi onita we're talking like peak fmw like he's just he's just now stopped wearing the singlet uh, uh onita i really want to sit down 
and talk wrestling with Don Fuji one day because when he's not train spotting, I like when he's on Twitter tweeting out photos of him watching like 1978 New Japan. He just seems just like a fascinating human. Every part of Don Fuji that I've ever heard about seems so interesting. He's the only person that I think of that might actually have like uh, kinescopes of JWA Rahito's in. Exactly. Around. <laughs> like, I, I want it because it's never. It's never even like King's Road All Japan or Prime New Japan. It's always some just slow looking Anoki. A lot of Billy Ro- Yeah, Luth, uh, not Luthez, Carl Gotch type stuff. It just looks dreadful, but Don Fuji seems to love it. Yeah, it, it, there's just such like, I, I want to know his mindset. Like, he obviously, like, the, the he come he comes from a wrestling school that, you know, a melding of Lucha Libre and what was the junior style of Japanese pro wrestling at that time. I can't think of, of, of like actively like participating in one thing and then watching something that might as well be like cave paintings in comparison. I mean, he's so clearly a student of Tenru, which, you know, for those right. that don't know, he, you know, he never wrestled in war, but he did train in war. And it's just, he is kind of an embodiment of everything that, Tenru brought to the table it, it's a shame that rf video never did they used to do those in the ring shoot interviews like they did one with kevin nash they did one with chris here they did one with kenny omega where you know you take a group of students and you kind of have a wrestler walk through some stuff with them it's a shame they never got to do an in the ring with don fuji because that would be fascinating i mean he has a certain way he throws chairs that i think a <laughs> lot of people who work the deathmatch scene could learn from I believe it's the Kevin Nash uh, version of of that uh, that interview series where DJ Hyde raises his hand. He's you know it's mostly CZW students, and DJ Hyde raises his hand and goes, "Kevin, how do you draw?" <laughs> <laughs> Good question, DJ. <laughs> I mean, asking the master of that, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Don Fuji, how do you draw? Well, <laughs> I, I I'm in a 20 year feud with my knee. Yeah. And everyone knows about that my biggest rival yeah i i was part of crazy max with sua and shima but my biggest rival my biggest thro- thing throughout my career is that my knee has been acting up since 1996 <laughs> all right let's uh let's talk about the attendance real quick if you don't mind on these akaido shows yeah, i thought it. it was pretty interesting i would have you make a cut there uh, i will go ahead though um all right in three two one yeah, so the first show of this tour did 319 fans. That was Daya and Kakuta versus Hulk and Kai for the Twin Gate belts. The second show did 390 with Skywalker, KZ, or I'm sorry, Skywalker, Kai, and Ishin versus KZ, Shimizu, and Jackie Funky Kame. And then the uh, final show did 451 people for Hulk and Kai versus KZ and Shimizu. That is the most people they have ever put in this building for reference when they ran the king of gate tour here in may the most that they drew was 378 for kz versus menorah this beats the previous high which was the final december show of last year which was Ata hyo and ashita versus shimizu kz and ut for the triangle gate belts so if there's any data to glean from running hokkaido in this building a few different times now this crowd will come out for a KZ title match. That seems to be the recipe for success here. Yeah, and it, 
was talking with some folks in the Voices of Wrestling Discord and the Dragon Gate channel. Uh, Case and I will hang out there. You can come check it out. I think they have a link to it in the Twitch or everywhere or Twitter and everywhere with that. But we were talking about like attendance and like the idea about why Dragon Gate runs these shows and with like the fan with like these fan trips and for for those who don't know, I mentioned it briefly like ten minutes ago. Dragon Gate will do like they will like you will like book it through Dragon Gate. It's like the wrestling travels people, the old Mayfield uh Japan tours for the if you know, you know. But it it's you book it through Dragon Gate and then they will take care of all the travel. There'll be the shows, you have tickets to all the shows. If there's like drinks with the wrestlers, they'll do stuff like that with it. So the fact that it grew by this much by night by night, I mean jumping fifty percent across the weekend. Uh, that tells you that, that you're absolutely right. If you put KZ in a match that matters, his hometown fans will come out and will come out in droves. Yeah, no, I I think what we're seeing here is, you know, even though Hulk was a part of, he's obviously, you know, his name's on the tours, BB Hulk Homecoming shows. And although Hulk was a part of the, the Twin Gate match that did draw 451 people, you know, the first night was Hulk in the main event. It did 319, and if you remember the first night of of the King of Gate Tour in Hokkaido this year, that May 20th show, it was Hulk and Doi in the main event, and they did 289, and that's on top of last year's Gate of Destiny main event with Hulk and Yamato, which was obviously in Osaka, but I I, I think it just goes to this point. There's a lot of conjecture about Dragon Gate. It doesn't maybe feel like Dragon Gate uh, in, in the way that it, you know, it's the glory years, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, this, that, the other thing. Ultimately it's guys like Yuki Yoshioka and KZ who are moving the boat forward and BB Hulk, even though he might have a certain name value to English speaking fans, we are seeing evidence time after time again, that guys of his generation and Doi included are just not the ones bringing fans to these shows anymore. Yeah, and if you need just, like, random happenstance evidence, whenever they do a Corkin show, they use the Geora feed, even if you're watching English ones, so they cut to the crowd a lot in the pre-show. Take stock of the fan signs and towels. You never see BB Hulk anymore. You you do see tons of D-Courage, Kota Minora, and all of that. And I think that it, it, you can't, like, directly one-to-one infer that, but it, you, you do get the sense that the the fan allegiance shift has happened and it happened probably earlier this year. Did you see the guy in Corkin with the problem dragon rally towel? Yeah. He might be the last <laughs> yeah. person in the salty section, man. Yeah. It's, it's a sea of D courage merchandise. It's a Yoshioka die and Kakuta everywhere. And in the thick of that is one man holding a problem dragon towel and more power to him. Hey, hey, you, you know, if I had the ability to go to like Dragon Gate shows in like in 2011, I would have been that weirdo, but then me with a Kanichiro Rai towel. Yeah, I'm trying to think now, like if I went to a show, I'd be like, mm, let me get that Kaito Nagano merch. Let me, well, I'd still, I'd still buy an Ark and uh, a towel as well. That's, there's, there's a lot of options there for deep cut weirdos like you and I. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I find myself sometimes looking at the online shop and going like, ooh, I can get myself a over generation button with uh mondai rio on it for one dollar maybe i uh, uh it's just sitting around there I, i'm actually doing a service for them 
for that's, from that's 99 offense. cents too much if you ask me <laughs> but let's we've seen how uh, like with the tenants with kz up top really helped things out there we did end up as you were saying had three title matches we both saw all three of them let's start off with friday this was for the twin gate it was Dragon Daya and Madoka Kakuda of Decourage defending against Kai and BB Hulk. It was a first flash on Daya to have new Twin Gate champions. So this year we've seen a lot of quick title changes. You know, in the Dreamgate scene, that hasn't been the case. Kai started the year as champion. Yoshioka has taken over and Yoshioka has been set ever since. The Brave Gate belt was what? SP Kento and then Daya... And then Hyo, so we've only had the three changes there. The Triangle Gate Championships, much talked about, including here, and unfortunately in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, there was a clear story that they were telling with the Triangle Gate Championships. Listeners of this show know that. People that uh, do not have unfortunately been misled as to what was going on there. But if you look at the Twin Gate scene, you know, Diane Yoshioka, I guess it was Hyo and SB Kento that started off the year as champions. Diane Yoshioka took over. Then it went to Diamante and Shun, Jason and Jackie, and then decourage here. Then you go with the quick succession of changes with Hulk and Kai winning, and then Shimizu and Casey on the final night. I don't know about you, but I was prepared for a pretty lengthy Daya and Kakuta run. And although I understand what they were doing with really loading up the hometown guys in the main event of the final show, and it clearly worked, they, they put in more fans than they ever have into that building. I was disappointed in the result of this match. Yeah, it just, it, it, it's something that Kai and Hulk are two people that not only did they have a 48 hour title run, that they didn't get anything out of that. Like that, they're BB Hulk and Kai. They're so well established that even winning the belts, the, like even though like uh, Kamei and Jason didn't make a defense, they won the belts and they held it for a month. And for Kamei, that was a big step forward for him, right? But the, there is none of that with Kai and Hulk. Like whenever they're in in like team title matches, the they win the belts. It's like oh, just add another tally to that. So it really was the pursuit of loading up the weekend with that and. I don't, uh, I I don't know what the end game would have been with Daya and Kakuta other than uh, make D Courage look strong at the end of the day. So somehow they were going to, whenever they were tired of D Courage looking strong, they were going to have to find some way to get the belts off them. And I wasn't real. There was really not a team. And this year, as you said, like there's, it, this has been the hot potato belt. There, it, there you just can't expect like that a team is going to be built up and when it's, it's just like a random challenger team that will win the belts here so why not hulk and kai uh this match was a was i went three and a quarter on it it was okay it was not as strong as the other decouraged uh, tag team title matches let me ask you this because and th this unfortunately is going to conflate reality with the fantasy booking that i laid out on the show last week but you know, there's Gate of Origin coming up on December 20th, and it's sandwiched in between a Cork and Hall show and then Final Gate. And, you know, we, we, we've we seen Final Gate's going to have some drawing matches. I'm, I'm not concerned about the house for Final Gate this year. But for Gate of Origin, I talked about maybe doing Daya and Kakuta against Yamato and Dragon Kid. To me, that, that would have seemed like a fine main event for a show where you need to get some people in the building. It's near Yamato's uh, uh, hometown, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, he's not from Sendai, but Awate is close to Sendai. That's what it's, I thought. It, it, it's his home region. Gotcha. Um, would have been a nice draw there, four big names. 
this is purely hypothetical because we have no idea what direction they're going for Gate of Origin. They might not even know. They might have forgotten about it, and they're just they're going to show up in Sendai on the 20th and figure something out. Do you think there is a match with Shimizu and KZ that could match the star power of Dying Kakuta versus Yamato and Dragon Kid? I think part of the reason that I don't like this change is that Dying Kakuta both feel so hot right now. They feel like stars, and... Losing to Hulk and Kai, and, and again, mainly Hulk, I really don't have any issues with Kai right now. I actually think he's doing some some excellent work and has been all year. It, it just, it took some shine off of the Twin Gate belts, actually. It's not that it hurt D-Courage. I think it hurt the prestige of the titles. Well, I also think if you look at how Daya has been booked, like, since then, like, when, when Daya, he is booked strong, but he is always the person dropping falls, and he dropped falls immediately after dropping the belts here. So... Either there's a confidence in that they don't think he needs it anymore, or it's just like, oh, okay, he was going to be this anyways. But it, it, it it's something that at the end of the day, unless like we're getting a long run for KZ and Shimizu, I'm wondering why specifically other than to set up a hometown Sapporo versus a Betsu title match, I don't know why you really would do that. You know, I mean, it, it, and Shimizu being added in to it like his like kz yeah ut was injured maybe this was ut spot at the moment but it it, it is a, a very weird feeling twain gate division coming out of hokkaido yeah i you know i can't answer your question as to what the end game was for d courage with these belts but for as good as shimizu and kz are going to be as champions because at this point we have to recognize shimizu as an elite tier tag team wrestler, everything he did with T-Hawk, Benkei, Eita, Susumu, and now Casey, you know, this is his sixth twin gate run. And I've enjoyed every time he's been champion. I expect this to be no different, but Casey and Shimizu with the belts just does not feel uh, like dying Kakuta. And that's a shame because I, it's, it's unfortunately making me question, or I guess rather knock Shimizu and Casey. And I don't want to do that, but I just, it dying Kakuta, and obviously Yoshioka just decourages a whole. They just feel so special right now, and I feel like they got the rug yanked out from under them. Yeah, like the, there was a lot of tread left on those tires, on this tile run. Uh, what were your thoughts of the match itself? I went three and three quarters on it, and that is really off the back of, I think Dai and Kakuta are such an excellent team together. I mean, I, the the Kakuta decourage thing, we've talked about it before. Jay talks about it a lot on commentary of if there was ever a comeback wrestler of the year award it has to go to Madoka Kakuta, and he's he's not wrong. I mean, in August, I I sort of laid it out there, and you know, this was going to be Kakuta's time to shine, and if he couldn't deliver in this setting, I was going to have serious long-term concerns about his career and his place on this roster because once he returned from injury, it was so shaky for the first three months, and I just never imagined that he would have been this good to, you know, again, if I'm putting together a list of the 50 best wrestlers in the world this year, I feel like I have to include Madoka Kakuta on the list, and that's really looking at his work from August to November. I just think he's been that good that he has to be talked about in that sort of light as a as a top 50 guy in the world, and he and Daya together, I just thought were magnificent here. Yeah, and I think like I, there, there was a lot of stuff that I, I feel like with Kakuta, like his body typing so unique for the promotion that when you have someone like Daya and when like they did that tease of the JFK team that you have that big and small dichotomy that you feel like, I mean, 
we were talking last week about Kakuda doing the most inventive airplane spin ever, which was just Minerita holding onto his waist for dear life and then Kakuda trying to spin around and get him off him. Like, there's a lot of stuff that they could have done with those two. And uh, maybe it's something that they end up getting the belts back and they have, they kind of continue the run. And this is just something that we look at like as a sumo like blip, you know? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see because. I I liked the idea, and I I was not in favor. I guess rather not expecting Dying Kakuta to win the belts when they did. I thought they would stay on the Kung Fu Masters, Jason and Jackie. But you know, you had the point of you know, D Courage is hot. Why not put the belts on all of them? And that's what they ended up doing. I could see where that could have created an issue, though. Where now you've got a champion taking a fall in some of these matches, where D Courage is going to have to lose. And so I don't. I don't see a second title run for them coming up anytime soon, probably as long as Yoshioka has the belt. I think it served its purpose. I think it could have been longer, but it might also alleviate a headache from Dragon Gate's perspective with them not being champions. Yeah, no, I I think you're dead on about that. Uh, moving on to the Triangle Gate, the uh, belt stayed on Zebrats after Kai, Shun, and Ishin defeated the Natural Vibes team of KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, and JFK when Kai penned jfk after a medio impact and a first flash that happened because yagi was completely distracted on the finish one of my favorite dragon gate matches of the year i mean well you know really? we'll, do, we'll, we'll do top 10 lists in, in a few weeks here and this is uh, this has possibility of sticking on to the back half of my top 10 i i it, you know look these, these are my guys at shun it's ishan it's KZ. There's there's a lot for me to like here on a personal level, but this is one of those chapters of this ongoing vibes versus Zebrats feud that lived up to the hype. You know, I thought they had that great notice qualifications match at Dangerous Gate, and then right when it seemed like we were boiling to a point where we were going to have to do unit disbands, vibes versus Zebrats, and I still don't think that's out of the question. Zebrats started to focus their attention on high end, so we sort of lost sight of this heated feud and Shun Skywalker wanting to end natural vibes. And then we come into this show, and again, Shun shows why, as I will continue to say, he's the best wrestler in the world, not named Will Ospreay. And I thought he was magnificent in this match. Ishan is, I mean, my God, what a wrestler. And this, I, where do you stand on Ishan, all caps Ishan as a heel? Because I, I, to me, it has hit every note I've wanted it to hit so far. It is something that Ishan has been so much fun as this character. And I wrote about this in the Corkin review where you, you know how Jim Ross loves to call like Darby out and like James Dean. He's like devil without cause. And like that's like that talking point for a brooding young baby face is like, oh, they're like James Dean. You, yeah. The thing is that Ishan actually is that character and the brooding teen character actually was best portrayed by Marlon Brando in the wild ones where it's dead behind the eyes. He's going to go out there. He's going to destroy everyone. And if somehow Mochizuki Jr. is in the ring against him, which happened on night three of this, he just loses it and just busts ass. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite characters that they've had so far this year. Like I think that all caps Ishan is has been it, it i thought that they what they needed in zebrats was a lost post but no they just needed to have someone who has been driven to the brink by his own family and now just wants to destroy everything else i love it 
I want to talk about this when we get to the end of the year. So just kind of uh, maybe giving your brief thoughts here. We can have a longer discussion about it in a few weeks when we sort of recap 2022. But we're, for all intents and purposes, a year into Zebrats. I mean, at this time last year, RED was crumbling. We knew they were going to disband at some point, and we knew Masquerade was coming to an end. And then we have Zebrats form, you know, the start of this year, January 12th, January 13th. And this unit of Kai, Hulk, Hyo, Espy Kento, Shun, Diamante, and now Ishin, I think it's one of the best heal units Dragon Gate's ever had. I mean, it's it's not Blood Generation. It's not Blood Warriors. It doesn't have the feel of peak Berserk, but they haven't hit the lows of Berserk either. This is a magnificent heal unit, and a lot of the success that Dragon Gate has had this year is because they have that anchor. They have this unit they can turn to. If they need to make high-end interesting, they can make high-end interesting. If Natural Vibes needs something to do, these guys can have great matches. I love what they've done with M3K in their brief interactions with one another. D-Courage, obviously, it's going to be a home run anytime those two teams are in the ring. Even if you want to get really into the nitty-gritty and look at what they've done with the Kung Fu Masters. They've been tremendous. Zebrats, to me, were, were approaching a territory where they're becoming an all-time great heel unit. And it's hard with the exception of Blood Warriors, which was it's something you have to talk about Junction 3 and Tandem because that was that year for that time period. You have to like look at that and compare it to Zebrats when you want to talk about like the like the sub the best like solid first year because it really is like peak for Zerk and even peak for Zerk, the triangle gates were bouncing around a whole lot at that time. So you really had Doyama, Shingo, and Katoka as the holders there, but Zebrats has held every single title multiple times, with the exception of the Dream Gate, but they've held this title belt multiple all the Brave Gate, the Twin, the Triangle Gates during their first year multiple times. That this is not a heel unit that has been booked to look weak, but this is not a heel unit that has been looked to completely destroy all the baby faces. And in case for how long have we talked about the idea that if you want to talk about how good Dragon Gate is at one time. You talk about the heel unit because, as you said, like they are kind of the sun of which the rest of the uh, promotion uh, gravitates and rotates around. Because when you have a bad heel unit, Antios, you, you the, the company often is completely astray. But when you have something like how the first year Zebras has been, you're able to do so much more. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how Zebras evolves, especially with to our knowledge sb kento uh don't know if we see him this month if we don't see him on saturday i don't i I think we'll see him first show in tokyo in january you have that coming in like what's gonna happen when sbk comes back and it's so much fun and it's something that uh, i know my question for a long time was well someone in this unit is going to drop falls well they pretty much found a way that other other than diamante and kai they find ways to make people like Kyo and Ishin drop falls and you don't think less of them for it. Like it doesn't, it, it, they've been able to find a balance of not eating a lost post in a year, which is something I would not have guessed they've been able to pull off in January. Yeah, they're absolutely incredible. And and putting a bow on this and then we can finally put a, put a bow on Hokkaido as a whole. I, I love that this is a heel unit that doesn't have a big plastic box they carry around. They, they've been known to throw powder in the face of people from time to time, but it's not their thing. There's so many different versions, and R.E.D. fell into this a little bit too, which is really when I thought R.E.D. was clicking. They just have different 
uh, arsenals that they can roll out. You know, Shun and Ishan and Kai feel way different than, you know, Hyo and Diamante and Hulk. I, I like the diversity in this unit. I like all the things that they're able to do. And again, that's without SB Kento. And for a time period, it was without Shun Skywalker. And I thought they were still great missing, you know, for me, the the, the, the two favorite guys in that unit. So I, I really think in, in a few weeks, we're going to sit down and appreciate the year that that unit has had because they have made Dragon Gate better. Yeah, and it's something that it's somewhat old school, like in this Triangle Gate match that was built around a lot of walk and brawls and then solid prolonged heat on Kamei. And if the crowd was ever not with Kamei, like they clearly wanted to see KZ win a belt in front of them and outside of his hometown. But it, there was a moment in this match, and that might be why I'm a little bit lower than you on this, where I was like, all right, we are going along. I, I'm about re- I'm about done with all the walk and brawls. Like I've seen every part of this indoor soccer arena several times at this point. But then the 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 sheer will of Jackie Funky Kame throughout the rest of that title match really kind of kept it together and let it uh let it exceed its trappings in a lot of ways. Yeah, the uh, the walk and brawl stuff did not bother me. It's just I, I I find Shun to be compelling even when he's on the floor and. Of that, you know, I, I love the match. I went four and a half stars on it. Like I said, it's one of my favorite matches of the year in Dragon Gate, and and one that I would highly recommend if you have not seen it. I was a little bit lower. I was four flat. It was the best match in that building over the weekend. Uh, the Sunday finale was for the Twin Gates, as we've mentioned. KZ and and Big Boss Shimizu have won the Twin Gates, the first ever Twin Gate title for KZ, which might be another reason why they wanted to do this here. When KZ penned Kai with KZ time, case when's the last time you saw? Uh, KZ win a big match with coming off the top rope. It has been a minute to say the least. Yeah. So the the crowd going just insane about this. And then it, it was something that natural the rest of natural vibes came out there. UT made the trek up to Hokkaido, even though he's with the bad wheel right now. Good for him. And it, it was a, a feel good end of the weekend. I thought the match was a lot of fun, especially the idea that KZ and Shun were on the attack immediately. And it kind of it kind of gave us an impression the story being told that they managed to get uh, Hulk and Kai on the wrong foot and Hulk and Kai they were able to get in control but they weren't really ever on uh, like gaining significant enough momentum to stop what KZ and Shimizu were doing yeah I loved it I I was at three and three quarters on the first twin gate match I was at three and three quarters on the second twin gate match for all of my complaints of decourage losing I am really excited to see what KZ can do with these titles. And, you know, I I brought it up on this show a handful of times of, you know, hey, Natural Vibes is so good. And it's weird because it feels like KZ is having a down year. You know, KZ feels less important than he did in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. And then I went and looked at my spreadsheet today and KZ is tied with two of the wrestlers for the most four-star matches in Dragon Gate this year. I've got... 14 for Shun Skywalker, 14 for Jackie Funky Kamei, and 14 for Casey, and that edges out uh, Daya and Yoshioka, who are uh, a nose under them at 13. You heard it here first. Uh, Jackie Funky Kamei, most outstanding wrestler in Dragon Gate in 2022. Mike, when I publicly announce my FSM 50 ballot, I think you'll be very pleased with some of the names on there and their placements. Oh, I can't wait for that. Support for Open the Voice Gate comes to us from HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorsteps. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. And 
case, I, I'm hearing some bells in my ears right now. And that's because tis the season for saving money wherever we can. HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. So you can use those savings for holiday gifts. Or if you're like me, you could treat it to yourself. Brother, I can't get enough of some of this food. Mexican street corn pasta. I mean, that is a phenomenal meal. All of the good stuff here, you know, the honey butter barbecue pork chops, the spaghetti with chicken. I am very offended when people call me a picky eater. I don't feel like that's a fair assessment of who I am. I will say I am a specific eater. And luckily for me and uh, my dietary restrictions, if you will, some food I abstain from, I never have issues finding meals that I like in HelloFresh. And also, as I've mentioned many times, I am kitchen illiterate. It is not something that I grew up doing. It is not something that I necessarily feel comfortable doing. I don't like pointy things. I don't like fire. And I don't like feeling like an idiot. And luckily, even if I have to use knives on fire, I don't feel like an idiot using HelloFresh. Yeah, and it's something with HelloFresh. Like I, like Case, I also uh, have a case of the baby mouth sometimes. And some things I just look at, I'm like, I don't know if I'm about this, but... One of the cool things of HelloFresh is that they will take a recipe that you like and they'll do a little twist on it. Okay, my, one of my favorite things is Korean barbecue. I can't get enough of it. If, I, if there's a Korean barbecue in town, I will just go straight over there and just load me up on Galbi and I'm great with this. But with HelloFresh, they found a way to make it healthy and fun. Meatballs, meatballs with bulgogi sauce case. Are you a bulgogi guy, Case? Because I, in the Spears household, we are big on bulgogi. I'm right there with you, brother. When I come to the compound, that's what we're gonna eat. Oh yeah, we're just gonna get a bokkeumbap and bulgogi. We're just gonna, we're just gonna go and basically have a full Korean meal as we talk about Dragon Gate. <laughs> I would love nothing more. <laughs> but with with HelloFresh, you're able to do all of this over the holidays. And the if you want to get on this, this is what you do. You go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW18. It's a new code this week, folks. VOW18. And use that code, VOW18, for 18 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW18. And code VOW18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Case, somehow we've gone 45 minutes. I'm looking at the clock right now without talking about what was by far the biggest story to happen in the Dragon System in years. This Cork and Showcase, top to bottom, had some had debuts, had huge monumental returns. And we got to have Masaki Mochizuki's What Might Be His Last Dance. Uh, my written review is up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I walked away absolutely adoring this Cork and Hall showcase. What were your big thoughts about it? This did not go according to plan. I did not expect to talk about Hokkaido for 45 minutes. But nevertheless, we are here. And, you know, the question is often asked, you know, if I want to get into Dragon Gate, where do I start? What do I do? I... They have never made it easier. There is a free show on the Dragon Gate Network. It'll be there for the next week. And this is the show. Watch this show. If you don't like this show, you're not going to like Dragon Gate. It's, it's as simple as that. And if you find yourself watch, you know, having watched Dragon Gate before and not liking this show, I would suggest finding something else to do with your time because this was the best Cork and Hall show of the year. One of the best Dragon Gate matches of the year. One of my favorite Dragon Gate moments of all time and then a bunch of other really, really good stuff all throughout the show. So let's start from the main event. 
We've got a, a million things to talk about in the show. Let's start with the main event because it was historically great. All right, let's do that. Uh, as Kay said, the show is up on the network for free. All you have to do is have a Dragon Gate Network account. You can sign up for an account without signing up for the service. That's part of the reason why they do this is to get people signed up to the website. And if you sign up with that, you also, and you don't sign up for the service, uh, you also get the Saturday's Nagoya show for free. So two free shows this month on on the network. But the main event, as Case mentioned, was for the Open the Dreamgate title Yuki Yoshioka versus Masaki Mochizuki. Yuki Yoshioka retains, gets his fourth dream key with three. It took three frog splashes, three frog splashes to put down Masaki Mochizuki one month before his 53rd birthday. I, I mean, what can I say? We, we've talked about it before. Masaki Mochizuki is at worst one of the five greatest wrestlers to ever live. There is nothing that I enjoy more than Masaki Mochizuki in a big cork and hall match, whether it's Don Fuji in 2005 for the Dreamgate, Masato Yoshino in 2011 for the Dreamgate, Masato Yoshino in 2014 for the Dreamgate, obviously Casey in 2018, another classic, and then he has one here against Yuki Yoshioka that I, I believe I said last week, if it's not a match of the year contender, I will be disappointed, and these people somehow lived up to my impossible expectations. And it's something that you ran down a lot of uh, Mochi's uh, Dreamgate matches and a lot of the big name ones. But the thing that sets him apart and what sets this match apart from every single one of those matches is, and I write and I wrote about this. Masaki Mochizuki is one of the most creative pro wrestlers in history. He built this entire match around countering. It was fantastic to watch. It was some some of the coolest stuff, and it was something that. It was built through countering because on the Hokkaido triple shot, he was winning from counters. He, in order to get the title shot, he converted a a inferno into a jackknife. Like he's been finding ways to take you Yuki Yoshioka's stuff and turn it into Yuki Yoshioka's nightmare, and that's what we got for basically about half an hour here. And it was some of the it's some of the more magical stuff to happen. I was, it, it's something where. This match will be on my top 10 list. My Dragon Gate match of the year and my overall match of the year is pretty set in stone at this point. But boy, I, the eyeballs and the way that with everything of fan appreciation, the free show, I would be stunned if this does not end up doing pretty well in a lot of people's ballots at the end. I would certainly hope this is when Voices of Wrestling match of the year comes around that this is a top 50-ish match. I mean, it, it certainly deserves that spot. I, I don't know with you know the eyeballs and, and Dragon Gate, I... I was on the Squared Circled Reddit quite a bit this week looking for coverage of this show, and there are a few threads here and there, but there was actually a little bit less than I anticipated, which was disappointing just as, as somebody that wants to see more and more eyeballs on Drangate. Uh, I have a lot to say on Yoshioka. Let's stay on our Mochizuki love fest for a minute. So many spots in this match that I feel worth mentioning. I, I audibly gasped at two different spots in this match, which is pretty incredible for a 26-minute match, but there is a kick sequence in which Mochizuki is is kicking Yoshioka, kind of selling the leg, he's not really feeling it, he's kicking, 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 and then all of a sudden he throws a spinning back kick to the head of Yoshioka, and it takes him out, and it is the most graceful Anderson Silva-like spinning back kick I've ever seen, and this is a 53-year-old man doing this. It just doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense, Mike. And, and it's something that 
with the way that you, I, I feel like, and it's, I don't feel like I'm saying presumptuous case. I feel like with that watching Mochizuki title matches, you kind of get to see how his brain works in a way. And most, most times like you're describing the sequence that ends with the spinning heel kick to the stomach. Right. But just like going like, no, I'm just going to go up high and you're going to act like it just took you out. And it's, it's a brilliant thing. And just as brilliant as the punch heard around the world case, him popping up like in the cell motion, like popping up and seeing that Yoshioka was perfectly right there and socking him in the mouth. What a man. Yeah. Yuki Yoshioka does this beautiful frog splash. He connects with Mochizuki. And before he can make the cover, Mochizuki punches him in the face. That is the only way to describe it. I can't be more poetic than that. Mochizuki punched him in the face and it's it's one of the best things I've ever seen. I mean, to me, I I I hate dipping into the if this were a real fight or this and that type thing. But this is the the evolution of where wrestling should be going. I mean, to me, this just added to the match because it's realistic. Mochizuki had a half second window. He took advantage of it, and then he immediately collapsed as well. It's not like he punched him in the face and then stood up and just started going about his business again. I, you know, it, it feels very 2015, 2016 to get into selling discourse, but it, this couldn't have been executed any better. This was perfect. This is what Mochizuki brings to the table. This is why, you know, it's not only the laundry list, the hundreds and hundreds of great matches that he's had. You know, I, I'm sure if we tabulated it, he'd be in the 200 to 300 range in terms of four-star matches that we've seen and also some of the greatest single matches that we've ever seen. But it's these little things that he does, you know, the the big matches that stick out in a way. You know, there are, are, are guys that have probably close to as many great matches as Mochizuki, or at least they're in that ballpark, but they don't have these definitive moments. And I think back to, again, you know, the Don Fuji match from 2005 where these guys bust each other open as this heated contest. I think about the Masato Yoshino match from 2014, the pageantry that surrounded that match, and then some of the near falls and, you know, Don Fuji aping the spot that Mochizuki came up with three years ago where, where Mochizuki has a flash pin on Yoshino. It's a 2.9 kick out and Don Fuji rushes the ring thinking his best friend just won the title. You know, there's the KZ match where he works over the stomach of KZ, which I've still never seen another wrestler do. And then he's got the Shingo match where he jumps Shingo at the bell and they proceed to work this 25 minute match with the intensity and pacing of a four minute match. Like it's just absurd. The the rate those guys went at. And then you have this, which has the punch heard around the world. It's just, it's another one of those Mochizuki memories that sets him apart from the other greatest wrestlers ever of all time. And it's something that when you look across the ring and you look at Yuki Yoshioka now, he, his title defenses have been really fascinating to see. It's kind of like an inversion of the Shun Skywalker steamroller that we saw last year where, yeah, Shun might get beat up a bit, but he's going to get on a stretch where you just can't stop his momentum and he's going to give you the blaster, moonsault knees, SSW, and you're done. Like, you're seeing the inverse here where Yoshioka endures. He did it in, with Ata. I like the Ada match actually still a little bit more than this one, which I know is sacrosanct, but that's my personal taste though. But yeah, the Ada match where he sold approximately 19 minutes of a 24 minute match. 
the Amato match where it wasn't that egregious, but he was on the defense here. And then you have this match here where he's going up against someone who's almost twice his age, but this guy is able to, at the right moment, every single time in this match, find the window to punch someone after getting, after getting frog splash, subvert my usual action. So instead of kicking them in the stomach, I'm going up high and catching them with a flash knockout there. It, it it's really kind of woven a woven a unique tapestry for Yuki Oshoka, and it's something that I think ha- it, we we see box office wise it's a success. We see match wise that he's not had. I don't think Yuki Oshoka has had a bad match in this calendar year, and he is doing this in a way that you don't necessarily see in in like a defining title run. And I find that really fascinating here because Yoshioka was just as good as Mochizuki in it. Oh, I mean, this is this is the thing with Yoshioka. I mean, now I think he really has to be considered as a viable Flair Fest candidate. Now, to be clear, I don't think he's stronger than Okada. I don't think he's stronger than Osprey. I don't think he's stronger than Moxley. And I would still probably give Punk the edge. But you have to look at Yoshioka, if not in the same class as those guys, then just a tier below. Because as I have been sure to mention on every show we've done since August, you know, business has only gone up with Yoshioka as the champion. Almost every market they run, and especially the important ones, you know, Tokyo, Osaka, Kobe, Hokkaido, even though that's, you know, KZ, uh, these places are all up with Yoshioka as the champion this show did 1200 fans which other than the kness retirement show which is an outlier uh it's the most fans dragon gate has done in cork and hall since the start of the pandemic it was even with the global dream show i think i think exactly the global dream show did three more fans than this i think that was 1209 and this was 1206 i could be a little off on those numbers but it's basically flat so you look at him from a box office perspective he saved an abysmal summer has become world champion and then has had match after match after match. I mean, you look at this run, you know, I, I went four stars on the match with Kai where he won the title. I went three and three quarters on the coach Minoru match, which was his first offense. You went four and a quarter on that. And then Ata Yamato and Mochizuki three matches. I went four and a half stars or above in the case of Mochizuki three box office successes and look, it's not like he was in the undercard at the start of the year. It, you know, this entire year of Dragon Gate has been focused on making Yuki Yoshioka a star, and they have done that. I mean, I am enamored with him. I don't see the lack of charisma that some people see in him. He's always connected with me. He's connected with me as a world champion, and he's clearly connecting with the people. So it's hard for me. Look, it's a personal taste thing. I get it. I'm not going to argue what you like and dislike, but I have a hard time putting stock into. Yuki Yoshioka is not charismatic enough when we see time after time that people are showing up to the building and they're showing up for his main events. Yeah, and it's something that we will see this continue as in the post-match, as D-Courage was wrapping up the title match and wrapping up the show, a a courier came out. Uh, Someone came out with a package for Yuki Yoshioka, and D-Courage didn't know what to do with this That. They played it up for jokes, but then they open up the box to find a gold rose and 
a note that I am no authority in Japanese penmanship. I'm guessing it was above, just above Chicken Scratch that had a <laughs> Chicky Chicky on it and a challenge for Final Gate. And it looks like, Case, the match you've been calling for for months is upon us. Yuki Oshioka will make his fifth defense of the Open the Dream Gate title against Binkei at the Final Gate on Christmas Day. Yeah, look, this this should be another home run for Yoshioka. This is his generational rival. They both came into the company in 2016. Bin K, I, I want to talk about it a little bit later. I mean, I'm just, I'm floored by Bin K. He is so good and so charismatic. And who knew just how much Kaisuke Akuda was weighing him down? I mean, it's just, it's insane to think about where Ben was January, February, March, April of this year and where he is now and the work that he is doing. It's phenomenal to see. This will be the third Ben K Final Gate main event in four years, which I think is pretty interesting. I expect I expect the match to do well. I would have expected it to do well without what I'm sure will be the semi-main event, which will obviously bring some people to the building. Mike, did you notice the pop that Yoshioka and this angle got when Yoshioka pulled the gold rose out of the box? Ben might be the most over person in the promotion right now. <laughs> That's like, it wasn't the Shingo reaction, but it also wasn't far off. <laughs> it, it's something that, you know, I, I I like the fact that Ben gets to kind of vanquish that 2020 uh, demon here at Final Gate. But yeah, <laughs> That's he, I, for, I forgot the last time he was in a Final Gate main event, he got knocked the fuck out. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But it, it's something that, on this show that I, I I'll bring up one thing that was not on the show when we get to the end here, case unless you pointed out beforehand. But on this show that is such like a fan appreciation show, getting like that and getting a match that immediately was received as popular by the Tokyo crowd, that does a lot for the cuckoo, the Cuckoo Sai Center at the end of the month. I would say, like I think. It, it, it's something that maybe they did not need to get uh, their former student back in the promotion to semi main event this thing. Yeah, you know my read on the on the Ben K situation. Just it's just merely from people that I've talked to that are living in Japan going to these shows. But you know this current Ben K thing is not like a like a too cool for the room Tokyo crowd the smart fan is into it type thing. It's everywhere, and it's these Kobe meet and greets where people all they want to do is go up to Ben K and do the chicky chicky with him. Like that has it's. I, I forget exactly when it was. I, I mentioned I think it was in April that on that Sambo Hall show, it was Ben and Akuda doing a fan meet and greet, and the person that I talked to was like, "Dude, there are like four people in line. Like I've never seen such few people in line for this thing." And then a month into Ben K doing his Chicky Chicky, he was back with just himself, and it was a line from one end of the building to the other. I mean, this has revitalized his career, and in a strange sense, we'll see where it goes. This is uh, possibly hyperbolic, but I do want to at least throw this possibility out there. I don't expect him to beat Yoshioka. I don't expect him to be Dreamgate champion, really, anytime soon, anytime under the existence of gold class, let's say. But this is starting to turn the corner where this run could be what we recognize Ben K for. And the Yoshioka match, it could really be the turning point there. I mean, if that's a that's a four and a half, that's a four and three quarter star match. For as much as I loved early Ben K, you know, mullet wearing Futa Nakamura Ben K, for as much as we loved him on the road to defeating Pac for Kobe World, 
this just feels different and this feels so memorable because it's so detached from anything we ever thought he was doing if he can have one or two genuinely great matches and and memorable moments under this gimmick when his career is all said and done this could be what we remember him for yeah and it's something that i think showing his ability to revitalize it with the bad taste that was left after 2019 i think it's 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 nothing but positive for him and it'll be really it's going to be an interesting thing to do because clearly now like we are so past how ben k was was handled basically from debut up until he defeats pack at kobe world 2019 we're so far away from that that you know in the past i've been like oh well you know i don't know if you really want to beat ben here just because of how ben was handled in the past but now you're like okay Ben could take this loss, and I fully expect him to, and he'll be totally fine. Whereas, oh, not, the- not worried about it at all. I yeah. mean, I, I, I really, I mean, look, Ben K shocked us at Final Gate three years ago when he lost to Doi, and nobody was expecting it. He could very easily pull that off here and actually win the match, but I, I don't expect him to win at all. But I don't expect him to be hurt by it. If anything, it probably gives them a layup for some funny post match promo that's only going to help him in the long run. Right. Yeah. Now he's at the point where all he has to do to get his heat back is just to spit bars something i did not think i'd be saying four months ago <laughs> so i have not read your review yet I, I was specifically avoiding it what was your star rating on the main event four and a half four and a half all right i was i was four and three quarters let me ask you follow-up question here is it your favorite dragon gate singles match of the year i like the ada match more really i there was something about how the ada match was worked that i thought was fascinating and it's something that I'm certain when I rewatch uh, fi- uh, Dangerous Gate 2022 in the future, I will not have I, I will not have the same responses I did when I watched it then. It is also my number two Dragon Gate singles match of the year. The one that has it beat, and I I, I really wrestled on oh, my spreadsheet here of which match did I like more than the other. The one that has it beat is Kai versus Asumu from Dead or Alive. Yeah, that might be. In my top five singles matches. That's, uh, that's probably a top five match for me this year worldwide. I was not as high as you, but it, it, it's comfortably top ten, if not top five. Uh, I'm trying to think of other singles matches I liked more. I, I really liked Yoshioka versus Diamante. I yeah, really so that, that's, that's what I was going to bring up was, you know, I'm looking at my Dragon Geek top ten right now. And I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six... Six of my top 10 Dragon Gate matches this year are singles matches, which feels a little abnormal. And then, you know, it's I've got a straight tag, a trios match, a three-way tag, and then another straight tag. So there's some some diversity there. I don't have a big multi-man match in the top 10, which normally I do. It, it's been a year of phenomenal singles matches. And, you know, God, Yoshioka versus Diamante is certainly one of those. That's a match I want to rewatch before the end of the year because it might not be my number 10 worldwide, but it... it it could slide into my number 10 as a vanity pick just because I like that match so much, like you said. Yeah, no, it's... Again, Yuki Yoshioka has not had a bad match this year, and if anything, he has not had anything below very good since King of Gate. I, I don't know how much you've thought of this, but, you know, real quick first thought, best thought, is Yoshioka a top 10 wrestler in the world this year with his just purely in-ring output? Oh, absolutely so. Yeah, without a doubt. Is Dragon Daya a top 10 wrestler in the world this year? No, but he would not be far behind. 
is Diamante. No, but he would not be far behind. Interesting. We will revisit this conversation in a few weeks. We will. Uh, semi-main event was Zebrats versus Yamato and Dragon Kid of High End, along with Takashi Yoshida and Problem Dragon. A little bit of Dragon Gate next happening in 2022. But it was that Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Yoshida and Problem Dragon team getting the win over the heel stalwarts with a cyberbomb from Yoshida onto Kai. And what the match itself, should we just go over the match real quick before we get into the post-match? The post-match is really what we, it, we we've gotten an hour without talking about it. <laughs> yes, let's, r- real quick, the match. I, I will say I couldn't tell what the match was going to be. I figured it would be one of two things of either Zebras was totally going to embarrass high end, flatten Yoshida, flatten Problem Dragon, just wipe their hands clean of this and move on. Or we were going to see what happened here, which I, I thought the finish would be more of a fluke. Quite frankly, I didn't expect Takashi Yoshida to be kind of awesome in this match, which is always a dangerous statement because you really fly too close to the sun whenever you give Yoshida praise. Because I don't want to see him in more big spots, but I really liked him in this big spot. Yeah, it it, it really was something that uh, Yoshida and Problem Dragon, I mean, this is the first match in four years of any consequence with Problem Dragon. And then it was like years before that for him as well. Both of them, I really enjoyed in the prelude stuff, the buildup, like them teaming with Yamato and Dragon Kid. Uh, like you, I don't know how long you could really trust Problem Dragon's neck to hold up. He's had such bad issues with this. Like in the post-match, they, Yoshida and Problem Dragon said, we're not going to be full members, but we'll be here to assist you as long as you need it. Zebra said a beat down there, but yeah, Yoshida and Dragon, this could have gone all... This was the best-case scenario, I think, in a lot of ways. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I thought this was a good match, and I wasn't necessarily expecting a good match. I I, I really enjoyed this. I'm curious to see what comes of it. You know, now Takashi Yoshida and Prom Dragon are assistants to high-end, which is the same spot that Kakuta was in uh, with D-Courage for a while before they made him a full member. I, I don't know. I mean, I still don't like the presence of high end. I really liked high end most when it was just Yamato and Dragon Kid. And I thought them just teaming either as a straight tag or with unaffiliated roster guys. I, I kind of feel like that was the move long term because I don't know if you noticed, but they they're doing a round of badges for Final Gate, you know, some some simple merch. Yeah. And, and Kagatora is not on the high end merch. Now that he's, happens, still, he's, st- he's still on the roster. Uh, the roster has been updated. He hasn't been removed. We've heard nothing about him leaving. I, I don't I, I don't expect that to be the thing, but I do find it peculiar that he's not printed on the merch because that's normally something that everybody's involved with. So don't expect him back for final gate. Yeah, no, I got the sense when he was out that it was going to be a long term deal. And that's why I figured he that's why when you said he was off the buttons, I was like, OK, yeah. I mean, they're moving on. I, I, I don't think this grouping will be high-end much into 2023, and I don't think he's going to be a part of it. So, Yeah, it just feels like, don't we have to be building to vibes and Zebrats and high-end and uh, losing Three you to a disbands match? Yeah, I, I, I feel like that, that that is the natural conclusion point, and I don't think you can end at least the natural vibes kind of thing. Like like they've gone too far. Like they've, they've crossed the Rubicon. Like if there's not a disbands match, then what were we doing here? You know? 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of the, so, uh, you know, I look at the template of February 4th, 2016, which I think is one of the better Dragon Gate matches of all time, and it was Monster Express and Berserk and Die Hearts, or I'm sorry, uh, was it Die Hearts? It was. Yeah, this was, yeah, yeah, Die Hearts spans because of it. Yeah, God, wow, what uh, what a long time ago. Um, But they do a four-on-four-on-four match, but it's single elimination, and I feel like that's your, your way to save face for Yamato and Dragon Kid, is that, look, you know, look, it they had four guys, but they were teaming with Problem Dragon and Takashi Yoshida. Of course, they're going to get eliminated first. And I, I would just, I would just like to see them move on from this. This is charming now. This worked, but the deeper and deeper we get into Yamato Dragon Kid and Yoshida six mans, or Yamato Dragon Kid and Problem Dragon six mans, it's going to lose its luster. So it's working right now, but I don't expect it to work in the long term. I would just like to see the high end branding go away. Yeah, that's why I say at the very least, I don't expect this grouping to be called high-end. Like, even if they escape a disbands match, there will be some changes, and I don't think that the high-end uh, name and imagery is going to last deep into 2023 at this point. Yeah, I would, I would, I would hope not. And then, Mike, what, what happened after the match? Well, after the match, when Yoshida said we'd help, help y'all out, that really pissed off Zebrats, and they... All six of them started dismantling everyone, leaving, and it was all throughout ringside. They were going throughout the building. They were tearing them apart case and leaving BB Hulk in the ring with Yamato, rearing back for a wide-open first flash. Yamato was dead out. It was going to be ugly. When a music was played that was not heard in this building, at the very least, for well over four years, as Shingo Takagi makes his return to Dragon Gate for the first time since October of 2018. He comes to the ring. He gives a status update case. Uh, for everyone who has not kept up with Shingo Takagi, he is now 40 years old. He's still single. Uh, he uh, is doing some YouTubing right now. Uh, his Christmas plans are up in the air. They were open yesterday. And he's still wrestling with the other place with a lion logo. And he wants to fight at the final gate. BB Hulk basically acted like that Shingo was a ghost the entire time, just freaking out there. And this gave the right moment for who else but Punch Tomonaga to come out. Uh, Punch Tomonaga, of course, for new fans, was Shingo's minion slash young boy, like to an extent, like way after any sort of young boy stage, like 2015 was still being treated like this. Basically gets the crap kicked out by... Shingo Takagi at will. He wanted to get a fight. He wanted to take advantage of this opportunity, but said he got lariated. Uh, Yamato, I, I, I cannot make out why it is Hulk and Shingo here, but I guess Shingo wanted to face Yamato. Yamato wanted a new generation partner, and it was Madoka Kakuda who came out to team with Yamato at Final Gate. It will be Yamato and Kakuda versus BB Hulk and his attorney, his eternal rival, his Class of 2004 compatriot, Shingo Takaki, in a Dragon Gate ring for the first time in four years. A million things I want to talk about here. One, the angle being that Shingo lives the bachelor lifestyle and thus has nothing going on on Christmas is the greatest gift imaginable. The fact that that is basically the purpose for him showing up here is so good. Just just tremendous stuff all around. Jay and Ho-Ho do a great job of transcribing this promo, translating it for us. Uh, a home run angle, even if 
Hulk and Shingo teaming together isn't super clear. I felt that they got the point across that Shingo wanted to come back and wrestle Yamato specifically, and so they made this happen. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the, like that. That's the only way you can have Hulk team with Shingo unless it's a retirement match, you know, in this company. Like you just can't do that. And the crowd exploded. The crowd went insane. And I think it's worth noting that they play the Dragon Gate theme to start off with, which is the safe move with this fan base, you know. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then ended it with the New Japan theme, which I was like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's cool. I did this. There is a better than 0% chance that a lot of these fans don't watch New Japan whatsoever or would have responded to a, huh, to if that music was playing. Yeah, it was it was great stuff on that end. Let's talk about Kakuta for just a second, if you don't mind. Uh, I thought Alan Forel, friend of the show, who uh, normally I steal his talking points because he says things so well, thought he said something very interesting in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I actually... I just want to read his post uh, uh, verbatim in which he says, and I quote, I was so disappointed by how meek and low-key Kakuta was when he came to the ring to add himself to the match. It was the perfect representation of things Joe Lanza has been saying for a few years about the new generation of Japanese wrestlers generally not having as much fire in their belly, or at least they don't show it, as the generations before them. 23-year-old Shingo Takagi would have grabbed the guy by the throat and got right in his face. 24-year-old Shibata was throwing chairs at fuckers and kicking off riots. 25-year-old Kabashi was balling up his fist and staring down the barrel of Stan Hansen and Steve Williams. I'm begging guys to show that nowadays. End quote. What are your thoughts here on Kakuta's performance in relation to what Alan just said? Well, they, they picked the one guy out of the new generation that I would have put money on wilting like this. <laughs> you know? I mean, Kakuta, like we've talked about for months, like when he came back, it was something that he disappeared. He did, he would disappear in matches of which he was the only other tag team partner. It was it, You would forget that he was on the apron. He just, it's something with him that, of course, he's not going to like get into Shingo's face like he should. Like, it, it, Alan's right, but they, they kind of set themselves up for this to happen, I feel like. It's interesting because... I had really never even considered Alan's perspective until I read his post, because in my mind, I was like, yeah, it's it's Kakuta. He's a low key guy. You know, I kind of ran through. I kind of ran through the roster here of, OK, who what young guy comes out? Who's going to get in Shingo's face? I think SP Kento would do that. I think Hyo would do that. I think Shun would do that. I, I feel like Ishin probably has that in him. Uh Mochizuki Jr. obviously has that in him. But like you said, Kakuta is just not that guy. And I didn't look at it as much as him wiltering or being nervous as much as it was just his general energy. So I, I didn't look at it as a knock at first. But now that I read that, I do think there was a great missed opportunity there. Look, the match is going to be hot. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to bring people to the building. I think it could have brought more people to the building had Kukuda really knocked it out of the park here. And for as good as he's been in the ring, he did not knock it out, knock it out of the park in this segment. Yeah, it, it, I don't know who is flying from Tokyo to Fukuoka for that match <laughs> specifically. Unless, you, you know, there might be someone who's like, I'm not going to Dragon Gate show unless I get to see the big six and here's the best we're going to be able to ever see again of it. So there's that. But it, it, it is something that 
you, you want to have like that clip, right? Like this would have been the thing that would have gone into his B-roll for the rest of his career. Like, and you know how Dragon Gate likes doing the that B-roll heavy clips of someone before a big match, and it, a missed moment, I feel like, is the right way to phrase it. Yeah, I, 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 I that was not my initial takeaway, but I do think that's where I am now. Now, I, I, I don't want to get too far off track, but. In the Voices of Wrestling Discord, there's been a lot of discourse lately about, you know, again, Japanese wrestlers maybe not having as much fire as normal, and also this long-term concern that crowds are just never going to come back to what they once were, and we have this generation of fans that don't know how to cheer, and I would like your thoughts on that in terms of where you stand long-term with, let's say, the culture of Japanese wrestling. Well, uh, yeah, okay. So, crowds coming back. Uh, I feel like that a lot of people have an unrealistic uh, memory of what wrestling was like in 2019 and early 2020 in Japan. Like, business-wise. Hold on, I'm sorry. I've never heard anybody say that. That's a great point. Go ahead. Yeah, because it was not like everyone was doing world beaters it's that's objectively not true you look at the numbers and noah was at a place where they had to get bought out by cyber fight to stay in bed to probably stay in business russell one was already going to die in 2020 it didn't matter that COVID happened with it uh there were other companies that that would be considered major companies that really should not be considered major companies if not for their abhorrent drawing but because of the fact that they had to have fans fund a bus repair you know it's it's something that i like the the industry in a lot of ways like a a good thing happened in covid which was that uh stardom seems to be taking off under bushy road ownership that that helps out part of the industry but you still look at the immense side and you have new japan that i don't need to get into my where do you see New Japan in 10 years? Look at that roster. Look, We don't need to do that here. But you have New Japan so much higher off from everyone else. And I think that people either thought that there was a trickle down that just did not exist in Japanese wrestling. Like, like, like when has really something from pro wrestling trickled down to other promotions in Japan? Not in, not in modern history. So it's not like New Japan being able to do well was helping out DDT, you know? No, so, because I and I I think just in case there's a rebuttal there, I, I'm with you. I don't think the success of '90s New Japan or '90s All Japan also made Michinoku Pro successful. To to my knowledge, there's no data of that happening. Right. So the industry was in a was in a reality was that was not what at least international fans probably were thinking. Like I feel like it was pretty night and day. And I think that not only now people are realizing, like, wow, that's three years of that does numbers on every promotion's business in Japan. Like, I think people are finally kind of realizing the situations there. So fans coming back, that was, you, you know, what's to say, like, something, some scandal, which has happened a lot in Japanese sports history. What, what's, what, who's to say a scandal brings down or, like, that Bushiroad has to divest itself from New Japan? That's going to, like... Trickle down happens in the regard there that bad press trickles down throughout the industry. So like that, it was always in a precarious spot. It's just that people weren't paying attention. We've had one big Dragon Gate show 
with cheering, Gate of Destiny in Osaka, they're at a point, you know, DDT just ran a cheering Cork and Hall show and they filled the place with 700 fans, but we see Drangate drawing almost twice that number. It doesn't make any fiscal sense for them to run cheering Cork and Hall shows. And, you know, who knows as an industry when we're going to back going to get back to that air quotes normal, but of the big shows that have happened with cheering fans, the general consensus seems to be, oh, well, these fans aren't as lively as I thought they were going to be. And at risk of becoming a white guy explaining Japanese culture to people, I certainly don't want to do that. I'm merely going by what people that live there have told me. And and part of it was Jay on this podcast in July talking about, you know, you and I might love when Takuma Fujiwara does something so insane that the crowd audibly gasps for it, or when the Golden Rose is picked up by Yuki Yoshioka and the crowd pops huge for it like they would in 2014 or 2015. You and I might love that, but ultimately there's a cultural difference there where the people that lost self-control and the people that made those noises are being frowned upon by most of the people in that culture. And that appears to be the case even three years into the pandemic, as frustrating as that is. So my read on the crowds, you know, for the first Gate show and for the first EDT show and for the few Noah shows that have had cheering shows, and I, I bet it will be this way for the big Gate show, or I'm sorry, the big New Japan show in February. It's a shame they're not doing the dome with a with a vocal audience, but the, the first big New Beginning show in February for New Japan with a cheering crowd I don't expect that to be this raucous, red-hot crowd because I think there's a a cultural difference where people don't want to jump in too quickly. But I do think the notion that fans have forgotten how to cheer or that hot crowds in Japanese wrestling will never exist again or, or that even a generation of fans that grew up with cheering and no longer want to go to shows because they can't cheer... I am yet to believe any of that's true. I think, I mean, you know, God, we're three years into it. Japan is moving at a glacial pace. I mean, you you and I are on record for the first two years of the pandemic, being about as cautious as as anybody could be in the States with COVID. And I think you and I are both at a point where, you know, we're looking at Japan and going, all right, speed it up a little bit. You know, we can can ease these (laughs) restrictions more and more and more. Yeah. I just uh, think there's a cultural difference where people are not understanding that, there, there's no need to jump in head first, or at least that's the way that these crowds feel. Yeah. So, uh, movement wise, uh, the, Obari, the uh, president of New Japan, yesterday, it, it was at a governmental meeting. I know that the uh, native account tweeted about it, but the, uh, it was him heads a cyber fight and uh, Ryzen and one MMA lobbying the government. I don't know if this was Hase's committee because Hase Hiroshi Hase was like leading up it as a part of his like governmental like he he's a he, he he is a important man in japanese politics hiroshi hase but uh i don't know if it was him but they were basically saying listen look at this here why are we being left behind because japanese like baseball soccer they're back to cheering crowds like they like they have but wrestling because where it was positioned it was positioned with performing arts so it, it's like, oh, you can't really go cheer at a theater performance, so why you, you, you're being treated as this, you can't do that there. They're trying to break that up there. Uh, the whole fans not cheering, forgetting how to cheer, I think that that's a little bit sky's falling. Give it six months and give it consistency. It's not like every 
Tokyo show for all these promotions or every single stop is cheering fans here. It's, it, it's here and there. It's here and there. And I think that when it's like consistently back to voices, okay, give it a couple months, you know? But yeah, like, I, I think you're exactly right. Consistency is the key there. And there's been no consistency. I mean, even within promotions, it's, you know, some DDT shows are, are going to be cheering, some aren't. And that's just, that's got to be a headache. You know, it, it's it's tough for fans. It's not easy for them to cheer. And, you know, even if I have my reservations long term about talent in Japan outside of Dragon Gate, because look, there's nothing in Big Japan. I am low on all Japan, uh, comparatively speaking. I've yet to see evidence that Noah can produce a quality dojo graduate. Even if I really like Inamora, I don't trust what they're going to do with him. And, you know, credit to New Japan for really putting the pieces in place for a rebuild. We'll see how well it goes. But again, for male Japanese wrestling outside outside of Trangate, I am a little bit concerned for the future, but I'm not concerned for the culture that surrounds it. Yeah, I mean, New Japan did the right thing five years too late, <laughs> I think. But it, it, it is something where there is, like, l- l- like, should I go really bummer here for a second case? I would love for you to. There, there's an honest thing that, uh, there's an honest shot that they're within 25 to 30 years, things break the wrong way that pro wrestling isn't, like, a cultural force in Japan anymore. Like, there is a lot of evidence that it could be something with the aging fan, the aging population, the the massive decrease in popularity and interest towards other uh, pop culture things. But, like, there's no argument to be made that maybe it it is something that things go south, you know, economy tanks. It, it, It could be even more dire, I think. Well, COVID's not helping. I mean, no, you know. New, New Japan is keeping their head above water, but they're suffering. You know, stardom is stardom is growing, but I still think the growth of stardom is is overrated. It, it, it and it's hard to judge. Like people, like a, a again, like not to completely go on this point again, but it, it's something that context is very divorced from a lot of stardom arguments about its position. Like, what they're still no clarification on how they do their attendance like dragon gate they comps aren't in attendance uh i know that for big some big shows with the conglomerate promotions they're still adding in those comp tickets as attendance yes if you've seen any big all japan show in recent years yes um but you know i mean look think, think about it from this perspective and it, it's why again maybe it's just a personal thing where 2020 and 2021, I was, you know, very much pandemic minded and being as cautious as I can. And look, I've I, I've gone out, I've done everything that people have asked me to do. And I've gone out and live my life this year because of a, a, its risk assessment. And so I think in 2023, I'm going to lose a little bit more patience with Japan, just waiting for things to to speed up and to be free because of my own personal standing. But think about it from this perspective. We're celebrating 1,200 fans at Cork and Hall for Drangate which is the best number they've done, you know, again, other than a retirement show in two full years, almost yeah, three full years. and Toriumon, but you yes, shouldn't judge that, those two. That's yeah. right. Two, two gimmick shows, essentially. But if they put 1,200 fans in Cork and Hall at any other time in their career, 
we would have to do an emergency podcast about how the sky is falling and we're celebrating this 1200 and most promotions are not hitting that 1200 i mean it's what yeah it's it's the two stardom shows did 1500 there's the the kinesh show and the toriman show and what was the the freelance show was it a ricky dozan show or something there was one that was the 50th anniversary of cork and hall Okay, that's what it was. I I couldn't remember what they were celebrating, but that the, that show there, did there was a as well. There was a Ricky Dozen one that did that well too. Okay, yeah. The, so the, the, you know, basically, uh, basically a handful of freelance shows, two Stardom shows, and two or three Dragon Gate shows are, are the numbers that we're celebrating. And under normal rules, fifteen hundred and Corkin is good, but it's not great. You know, it's it's not anything we're celebrating. And so you factor that in by three years. You think about promotions that aren't doing as well as Drangate. And then you think about all of the other markets that are still down. And look, it's a bloodbath. I mean, it, I'm I'm amazed that more promotions haven't gone by the wayside. I do think maybe it's the foolish optimist in me. I do think eventually this stuff will subside and we'll see the industry slowly. And I mean, slowly start to crawl back to a healthier state. But in terms of the culture, again, I'm not – I don't have long-term reservations about that. Yeah, and uh, one last note that's worth noting when we talk about this sort of thing. For basically up until the Stronghearts departure, Dragon Gate had the longest continuous streak of Corican sellouts. It was not- – I, I tabulated it a while ago. I believe it was – summer of 2012 through 2018 it was about a six-year streak so that would have been approximately 75 shows at the very least yeah so it's something that when you celebrate things uh, as i like to say we like to put things in context here uh any more shingo thoughts we kind of uh, really diverged there for a second he uh just it's something that i did not see this day really happening anytime soon but especially less than a decade after leaving the promotion and coming back it, it it's insane and maybe that's something that when we talk about the overall state of the industry the, the fact that shingo is working a dragon gate show might also be another kind of tell of the health of the industry can i play my favorite game and go through cage match real quick and just remind people especially those that may not be super high on 2022 dragon gate what the card for shingo's final dragon gate show looked like Oh, please do. It's wild. Yeah, so this was the show was on the Dragon Gate Network. You can watch it if you do so, please. It's Hakata Star Lanes, October 7th of 2018. Opening with KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Brother Yashi against Yo Watanabe, Kota Minora, and Problem Dragon. I'll read this whole card, Mike, and then I'll get your thoughts at the end. Match number two was the Bicycle Brothers, Don Fuji, and Ryo Saito versus Gamma and Sashi Hoko Boy. That match went seven minutes. Match number three was Kagatora versus Punch Tamanaga, which was an eight-minute no contest. And then after that, UT Yamato and Yosuke Santamaria versus Masaki Mochizuki, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka. Funny how the more things change, the more they stay the same. Semi-main event, Benkei, Big R Shimizu, Pac, Takashi Yoshida, and Yasushi Kanda versus Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, Kaito Ishida, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi. And then BB Hulk versus Shingo was obviously the main event there. I noticed that Case made sure to tell you the length of the Bicycle Brothers match. Ian, the Kagatora versus Punch Tamanaga, no no contest, which ended after eight minutes. God, they were so lucky that things worked out the right way with Pac. Oh my God, yes. I mean, the, the, the savior. <laughs> I mean, look, I, you know, we celebrate R.E.D. now, but R.E.D. went through so many iterations, and 
the the world was not pro red until Pac came in and then even then it seemed like the unit took a minute to to find its place but you know i said at the time and i i still think this years later i mean Pac saved Ata's ass because without him Ata's leading this heel unit that is directionless and I don't think he was equipped to do it at the time, quite frankly, but you know, outside of that tribe Vanguard versus Mochizuki dojo match, which looks outstanding. And I might go rewatch that UT Yamato and Yosuke versus Mochi Shun and Yoshioka. And then, you know, I, I guess if you want to watch that, that 10 man tag, I mean, yes, it was Benkei Shimizu and Pac, but it was also Yoshida and Kanda versus maximum. Uh, you, you see the problems on the undercard again, Don Fuji and Rio Saito versus Gamma and Sashihoko Boy, and that got time. Uh, a, an opening match with Problem Dragon and with Brother Yashi, and that got time. A nine-minute, or I'm sorry, eight-minute Kagatora versus Punch Tamanaga, no contest match. 2018, the highs are high, but those lows are, are very, very low. The more things change, the more they stay the same, and the more they change. Uh, moving down the show, uh, Gold Class uh, lost to the Freelancer team. Ata, uh, not Ata's not a freelancer. I shouldn't have called it that. Uh, the freelancer and Ata team of Ata, Naruki Doi, and Shuji Kondo. The finish is worth getting into. So Minora had Doi in position for the gong, but Minorita, uh, he was close enough to the road, so Minorita got his attention and insisted that since the show was free of more eyeballs on it, he should get the fall. Went to a closing stretch with a couple really close headlock takeover variant near falls before eating the doi fives and the sliding kick for the uh the the perfect strangers team let's call it perfect strangers now and and the post-match uh Ata was like hey uh doi you're a trio champion somewhere we're not all teaming people how about uh we uh team up and doi and kondo couldn't get out of cork and hall fast enough I'm bummed out by that. I really, really, really would have liked a Doi Atek Kondo Triangle Gate Challenge just for the sheer novelty of it. I thought that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I mean, Ata and Kondo, that, that, is, that, that is a pairing that if we ever do one of those fancy things again, Ata and Kondo might be one worth revisiting. And that is a tag team known as Bad Attitude, but it is actually literal. It is two guys that have a bad <laughs> attitude. <laughs> but... but Ata needs to have a quirk like Shuji Kondo. You know, I'm ready for Ata to get into that uh, in my 40s, looking looking down the road, what I'm going to be doing after I can't wrestle anymore. I'm not saying that he's going to become a baker like Shuji Kondo, but I feel like Ata might have some real creative outside business opportunity. I feel like that's what Ata's been doing for the last five years. He's he's Look, Fair. he's got a successful business as a t-shirt model. Whenever a company needs to sell t-shirts, they throw them on Ata, then they sell out of their t-shirts. No, he's like a 30-year-old man that wrestles like a 55-year-old. It's the it's the frustrating paradox of Ata. He's the most frustrating wrestler I've ever watched. Yeah, he really wants to be in, in a trios with Sienz Karras by now. Yeah, and look, I, I know he's got a bad neck. I understand he can't go 120% all the time like I'd like him to, but... Oh my god! It's just he's he's unreal. He's the most frustrating wrestler there's ever been. I want him in a unit. I like that he's no longer wearing Paro stuff. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Even if you know the mainstream media won't tell you this, but the Paro Strangate matches were actually really good for the most part. Uh, specifically, six twenty six Paros versus Natural Vibes, one of my favorite matches of the year. But let's let's do something with Aton. Let's get him a partner. Let's get him a unit. Let's see let's see the next step in this equation. 
Would you say that within the Japanese wrestling scene, the status of Ata might be the most intriguing question as we go into 2023? No, because there's two options. He's either going to keep doing what he's doing, which is he's a Drangate wrestler who works for Noah on a similar structure to Masaki Mochizuki. At least that's our understanding of it. Or I guess he announces he's going freelance and what he works Drangate Noah than like a DDT show here and there. I mean, I don't think the possibilities are endless for Ata. I think he's pretty much locked in here. I, I don't see a new Japan jump coming and there's no other promotion that he either fits into or that can pay him the money that he's owed. I just, I want him to find a, a, a bigger place in the context of Drangate because I think he's going to keep working Noah and, you know, that seems to make him happy. So good for him. It doesn't take away from his Drangate output. I just want him to find a unit. Yeah, I just, I, I cannot get the thought out of the back of my head that I could just as easily see Ata showing up on an IWRG show next year as he is to show up in Kobe Sambal Hall. I just can't get that itch out of my head. Well, that, that'll be an interesting thing to watch as Drangate continues their North American expansion once again. And as Joe Lanza pointed out on the Voice of Wrestling flagship Patreon, you know, you should expect in 2023 a steady rotation of Drangate guys coming to North America. And obviously, Ata should be earmarked as one of the guys to come over. And Ata coming over to North America brings on a whole new set of, I won't say challenges, but just possibilities. Because again, is he going to be booked for MLW? Is he going to be booked for West Coast Pro? Uh, probably and probably, but he's also probably going to do some really grimy Mexican indies. And that is all he wants to do, it seems like, just from the little bit that we know about his personal life. Yeah, like you talk about the the two options. That's the option I'm expecting out of everything. So we'll we'll see about that. Uh, the match itself was a whole lot of fun. I the, this part timers trio. I I thought it had some legs. It would have been fun to see more of it. But it seems like that there is a direction for Ata. It's just he can't find friends. And who wouldn't want to be friends with Ata after the last seven years of Dragon Gate? So if that's the angle they go with. Does this lead to Takuma Fujiwara coming back and being his friend? I think that's when we talk about uh, Fujiwara, Estrella, SBK. Does Estre is Estrella ever going to come back? Uh, uh, we we gotta check to see if there's a return ticket. Doesn't it just seem like in just the same there. way. So like so so Diamante was brought in to work with Altimo, and look, I think you know from. Well, I guess, how would you phrase this? Do you think it's fair to say Ultimo has tremendous influence over what luchadors are brought in now? I would say that if I were a international wrestler, the one person I'd be trying to get in tight with is Ultimo. Okay, I think that's a very fair way of saying that. In the same way that Diamante was brought in to wrestle Ultimo, I just feel like there, it's not impossible for Estrella to just be Ultimo's North American liaison and partner and occasionally opponent. Yeah, uh, like I can't discount that. <laughs> it, it, it's something that if... It, it, oh, I'm kind of surprised that Estrella has only done like one U.S. state with Ultimo, honestly. Yes, I, I, I am too. Yeah. Uh, moving our way down that the show, we had the... Touch football match of the night. This is for new listeners. This is the match where you have a lot of people on the show. You just want to get them out there, get some calisthenics in. They're not going to go super hard on it, but everyone knows what it is. Uh, the sides were Ultimo, Don Fuji, Ginky Horiguchi, Sachioko Boy, 
versus Natural Vibes, Shimizu, Jason Lee, and with Tominaga and Ho Loon bringing up the team, it was Don Fuji pinning Tominaga with an elbow drop. I thought this was a lot of fun. I, I don't have much to analyze here because it was the touch football match of the evening, but for touch football matches, this was this was pretty good. Yeah, I'd say it, it was fun. Like I, had, it, it it was something that was kind of very. It, it's funny sometimes to see a uh, Torimon team versus a frontline pairing like Shimizu and Jason Lee, and then they have to end up with Tominaga, and that always cracks me up. And it it was a good time. Yeah, I, I wish just for what this show was. I I obviously wish Jason would have had a bigger match just because I do think he's a guy that can turn heads because there's nobody in wrestling that that wrestles with the quickness and the technique that he does you know nobody's really as clean as him and if i'm trying to get new eyeballs on the promotion specifically you know with the way the show was marketed it, it seems like they wanted some international eyeballs on this show i probably would have put jason in a different position but it was a fine match for what it was i'd say so uh before that natural vibes versus m3k kz strong machine j and jackie funky kame Defeat Susumu Mochizuki, Mochizuki Jr., and Yazushi Kanda. It was the the machine suplex from Strong Machine J over Mochizuki Jr. And something we didn't talk about with Hokkaido, but they are really playing up the fact that Mochizuki Jr. is struggling without his dad backing him up every match. Yeah, no, I, I am I am so on board with what they're doing here. Uh, the the continued struggles of Mochizuki Jr. And look, I, I love the way they played this with him and Strong Machine J, where it looked like he was going to pick up the win on J, and then it just didn't happen. He was once again outclassed. I think their chemistry is excellent, and, and that seems to be the direction that they're hinting at is, you know, there's there's second-generation wrestlers on this roster. Mochizuki Jr. obviously did the thing with Ishin for the summer, and now he seems to be transitioning into a Strong Machine J feud, which I think could be excellent because... You know, the first half this year, we raved a lot about how much Strong Machine J had improved. We loved the fact that he got added into Natural Vibes. Vibes is just so loaded that he's once again become a background player, but this time it's not because of injury or lack of talent. He's just surrounded by, you know, Jason and Jackie and KZ and some of the best wrestlers in the world. And this uh, possible Mochizuki Jr. feud, I think, would be very good for him. Yeah, you take the name and the mask off, and you talk about someone who had a very promising rookie year, then became snake bit for his next two years, and you say, well, he's in the big babyface unit, but he is about fourth or fifth ranked, but you know, he's three years in. Y you would say that he would be in a good position. It's just the path we got to get here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second match was the last bet of big news on the show. It was the debut of Yoshiki Kato. Yoshiki Kato, 24 years old, 90 kilograms, a former police officer from the wrestling hotbed of Gifu. All the great wrestlers are now are coming from Gifu, from your Shun Skywalkers, Yuki Yoshioka, to even your Problem Dragons. Gifu is truly the wrestling hotbed Uh Kato is portrayed as a power fighter, his athletic background, like Big Boss Shimizu's in track and field, but instead of the shot putt, his specialty was javelin. Madoka Kakuda was his opponent in his debut, and Kato lost with the lariat from him. So, you know, we talked a lot about Kato after his exhibition match. He's the 13th, I believe, Drangate trainee to debut since the start of the pandemic. Obviously, along the way, we lost Ricky Ihashi, we lost Shoya Sato, we lost Sora Fuchikawa. Or, uh, yeah, that was his name, right? Sora Fuchikawa? 
Yep, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I think Dragon Gate's got another one here. You know, this is this is a kid that I'm really, really intrigued by. I it, it's it's funny you wrestle Madoka Kakucha on this show. We talked about Kakucha not showing enough fire against Shingo in his promo segment. Well, how does Kato start this match? He bumps shoulders with Kakuta and basically tells him to bring it on seconds before his debut match starts. I mean, Kato brought fire that Kakuta should have brought later on in the show. Yeah, and Kato has like a natural heel charisma. Completely. I feel like. Completely. Like, and, and I got into this in the review where like Daya and, and Kaito Nagano, they are fresh faced, handsome young men, you know, very appealing. Like they are very much like the bread and butter of Dragon System baby faces. Like you, you see every, you see Dragon Die, you see Kaito Nagano, then you see like Dragon Kid, you're like, okay, nope, this, this all makes sense here. Uh, Yoshiki Kato is a grown ass man with who is not, who does not have time. For any of this decourage pleasantries, he he he's sneering, he's hulking in a way, but also in a way that this is a guy that you look at and you're like, oh, he is incredibly built right now. You could probably get 20 more pounds of muscle on that guy, and he's going to look insane, but it'll be perfect for him. And he wrestles like a big guy, and that's cool to see with a lot of the debutees. I mean, really, the only other person I would say in the future project who had like a grown man energy like this was Shoya Sato. Yeah, and, and that's because he was a grown ass man. That, that's you know, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, Drangate's had so many debuts over the last few years and they're kids. I mean, they're literal 18, 19, 20 year olds. And I think that that's going to that's going to work in Kato's favor. He's 25 and he projects and acts like, you know, a 25 year old or at least in the context of the younger wrestlers even older than that. I think that's going to do him some favors and to your point, you know, uh, something that commentary hammered home was that he wants to be Drangate's top power fighter. You know, he wants to be a hard hitting badass. I, I, I guess in a way Shingo esque type wrestler. And the other guy that's comparable to his size is Takuma Nishikawa, who debuted in Mexico and is currently stationed over there. But Nishikawa, from from my understanding and from the way that he's been put over to me, is that he is a big guy who can fly and. Kato is not that. So I, I don't know about you. I thought this was an incredibly successful debut. Yeah, it it did not necessarily follow up in the way that I thought that the exhibition match, like him getting the fall, even an exhibition match. Like I, I thought maybe there would have been a little bit more of a fight with Kakuta here with that. Like just kind of that that would that booking lends you to think that it would be a little bit more competitive. But I thought this was like I thought that this was a promising uh debut match but it's something that i am i'm interested to see yoshiki kato 18 months from now like that is going to be a fascinating part uh, like point of comparison because he definitely has parts you know like it's something where like he has the Argentine backbreaker and then he uh, like as a bigger guy he's going to be able to be that power fighter kind of naturally with it so it, it's it, it's this isn't like Takuma Fujiwara where we're like oh well up uh, kind of a blank canvas and then our minds were blown here I I feel like that we kind of have a handle on Kato and he acquitted himself well I, I'm incredibly bullish on him after his debut I I really liked this match I thought he looked great for his literal first match uh, as a professional I, I also have to mention he does the torture rack spot on Madoka Kakuta and it wasn't super clean to begin with, but God bless the English commentary team for selling that Kakuta's ass weighed him down 
and thus Kato couldn't get the torture rack and fall. I mean, I, I, I had to explain on Spears of Asians that I am not ejecting, objectifying Madoka Kakuda whatsoever when I talk about his ass. No, he's a thick motherfucker. He's donked out. I, I mean, he, he is empowered by it. I mean, you've seen how he how his how like his introduction post changed, you know? He got the twin gate, he started pointing to his butt. It's huge. It's unbelievable. It is it would be a journalistic malpractice not to talk about. No, it would yeah, exactly. Past. It would be body shaming if we didn't bring it up. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And it, it was something that, yeah, no, Jay and Hoho, I think Hoho was still on commentary there. Uh we should bring up that after Kato debuted, because of just how the car was laid out, there weren't like the usual backups for when Hoho was wrestling where like where like Takashi Yoshida, Ginky, Jason Lee stopped by. So case they put Yoshiki Kato in the booth, and I we we we've talked a lot about awards, but the one person that really really deserves a lot of credit here, and I was talking with someone about this today. Jay had to basically conduct a translated interview and call two matches with someone who did not speak English and just had their pro wrestling debut. Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm voting Jay best announcer this year because I I think he has, but I think his his value was second to none and. You know, I really like Excalibur. I really like Ian Riccoboni. Uh, and I, I really like Kevin Kelly. But I don't think any of them bring the value that Jay does. And on top of that, you know, Jay is just... Uh, and he's become a very good play-by-play guy. We've talked about this for a few years now. It's just the reality of the situation. He's really good at his job. And and doing the, the translations while talking uh, and calling a match in English is unreal. And nobody else is doing that. Yeah, I, I, I think just for like that level of technical skill sets him apart enough to be announcer of the year. Like that's just something that has not happened before. And no one else in wrestling commentary has shown an ability to do completely. And it's, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm delighted that he has continued to do English commentary. I think it adds a ton. And, and again, he's been great for a few years now and he only gets better. Absolutely. And the opener of the cork and show again, free with sign up in English on DragonGate.live was Zebrats, Diamante, and Ishan defeating Dragon Daya and Kaito Nagano. It was Nagano actually getting a fall, taking the fall, not Daya here, with the Volta finale from Diamante. And Ishan, again, he is really dead behind his eyes, and he's pissed off that his dad made him team with his enemy, and he's going to take it out on all of us. Well, It's a simple character, but it, it, he pulls it off so well. This is probably my, my second best match of the night, right? I mean, this is this was unreal. It was a lot of fun, and it's something with, with Nagano. Like, we said this, like, last time Nagano made tape. He Rookie stage complete. We're ready for what's next with him. I I never would have imagined. And, I, look, I loved his debut match against Kai, where he just threw a 1,000 drop kicks and kicked out of a bunch of moves. I, I loved it. I did not anticipate him being what he is in December when he debuted in late August. I'm flabbergasted by how good he is and how innovative he is. I mean, he is quite literally doing stuff I've never seen before. And hopefully, you know, it, it seems like, you know, the Shingo stuff is obviously the headline grabber. A lot of people have paid attention to Yoshioka versus Motozuki. I think Nagano is probably the third biggest talking point coming out of this show. Yeah, and I think it's something that, with at least with how social media is, he would be someone that would reach out and grab people. 
you know i mean especially with i mean you have one of the best bases in the world in diamante if not the best and kaito nagano gets to use him as a human jungle gym and the thing that gets me about kaito nagano and i, I wrote a little bit about this case and i know you haven't read this so this will be a fresh take for you I like how different of a flyer he is than what you usually see from Dragon Gate. And I mean that that when you see like the high flyers, you, you anticipate a Dragon Kid style high flyer, like Dragon Daya, you know, natural evolution there. Takuma Fujiwara, his flying is different. It, it is, he pulls off stuff that is just completely different. Masato Yaka, the thing that he reminds me of is Masato Yakashiji, the Michinoku Pro grade, where it was not necessarily that Yakashiji was adding in an extra flip and extra twist, but it's done with a level of body control, being able to get that extra twist in and do it smoothly that I think sets him apart. And I think that this company needs more Masato Yakashijis around than Dragon Kids. So I'm super happy to see how he progresses. Nagano kind of flies around the ring in a, in a more similar way to the current crop of luchadors than a Japanese junior heavyweight. Like, I feel like Nagano has more in common with Commander than he does Dragon Kid. And, and yes, Yakashiji's yes. a great pull there as well. But that's very abnormal for Dragon Gate. Yeah, and I think that's going to them apart here. You know, like, that was always the issue I had with him on his debut, of course, naturally, is, oh, he's small. You know, like, that's... And then, like, he is someone that... I not, Again, not casting dispersions. I wouldn't call him necessarily, like, a classically good-looking guy here. But he's been able to, like... He's got a new haircut. He's looking fresh out there. He he's working with what what guy got him, but he's been able to really add in these flying performances that I think it, if it's going to be that you get one good gif out of an, a Kaito Nagano match, at least in terms of eyes and buzz with what Dragon Gate's trying to do with the Western Hemisphere, that helps a lot. Completely. I mean, he's there's there's no one in wrestling wrestling like him right now you know I, I i was just looking at alan's twitter alan farrell we talked about earlier you know he's he's kind of comparing his speed to masadi yoshino's and i don't think that's totally off base so again there was so much to like about this show you know great match great moment but also the pacing of this show and specifically this match being the opening match i mean this is something that even if you're uh, a tried and true dynamite viewer and maybe you watch the big new japan stuff and maybe you've seen a big noah match or two there's nothing in wrestling that looks like Diane Nagano versus Ishin and Diamante. That's just, it's you're you're transporting yourself into a totally different universe, and that's exactly what Dragon Gate needs to be, and that's exactly what they need to to showcase to people. So, not only was it a great match, I mean a, a three and a half, three and three quarter star type match in my mind, but it was so effective in what it was. Yeah, and it, it's something that I know Jay's come on here and talked about how important the opener is but even in a world where this is a free show and this is not just the only free match on there it's exactly what you want to do to start off a show like this where you you go from this into a debut and then you have a couple just lower card stuff and then you're getting it into semi-main event no intermission on the show by the way i think they've completely done away with intermissions at cork hall hall for dragon gate but then you have the semi-main event where the biggest natural born, a uh, true born star of this promotion returns for the first time in four years. And then you have a otherworldly main event in two and a half hours case. The show flew by. Like it, it's something that if you want to talk about bang for your buck wrestling, I, it's very hard to like think of a show that had more going on with it within its time, its time allotment. 
And, you know, the opener felt different than the Kato debut. And, and you know, the opener felt different than Vibes versus M3K. And obviously, you know, it was different than the touch football match. The opener felt different than Gold Class versus the Freelancers and Ata. The semi-main event had its own vibe, and then the main event had its own vibe. I mean, this was a six-match show, and every match felt distinctive and different. And it, it's always interesting. You know, I, I think Dragon Gate, the people that don't watch Dragon Gate, I think accuse it of being homogenous. And the compliment that people give Dragon Gate, even if they don't like it, a lot of the times they'll go, well, you know, I wasn't expecting things to feel as different as they did, but they did. And this is, again, this is one of those shows. I mean, six matches here, and they all brought something to the table. Absolutely. It was an absolute blast. Again, this will be up on the network, to my knowledge, at least through the normal week. So it'll be up until the uh, the 13th. But that is it, correct. But it, that's not for dra- all for Dragon Gate for this week. Real bad transition there. Uh, they have shows on the 10th and 11th. Uh, we talked a little bit about them. Kyoto and Nagoya. Okay, so I'll run down the cards real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Sounds good. All right, so in Kyoto, it is a 6 o'clock local time start. That is 4 a.m. on the East Coast. 6, or sorry, 9 Greenwich Mean Time. It will be on the network. For people who might be dipping in for the first time with Dragon Gate on the network, uh, Corkins and Big Shows are done differently than your Kyoto's, than probably this Nagoya show, where full production, full commentary is expected on every Tokyo area show and Big Shows. But on shows like this weekend, Kyoto and uh, and Nagoya, there will be a single head hard cam. And if you want to see a feed that has commentary going on there, it's not going to be English. It's two wrestlers that are at the venue there. So if you need to have kind of that background noise, they do have that, but just wanted to give that little bit of explanation before we get into this Kyoto show opener. I, I should I should note Genki Horiguchi tweeted out that he's going to have to behave on commentary now that there might be extra eyeballs on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see about Genki. I, I, I hope he doesn't hold back. I mean, n- no one sells moves like Genki on commentary. <laughs> that is that is very true. <laughs> uh, opener in Kyoto, Natural Vibes versus High End and Assistance, KZ, Shimizu, Kamei. Uh, Jason, Yamato, Dragon Kid, Yoshida, and Problem Dragon. Singles match, Madoka Kakuda versus Kaito Nagano. Um, Mochizuki and Sun versus Don Fuji and Yoshiki Kato. Ultimo, Susumu, and Kanda versus Zebrats, Kai, Hulk, and Diamante. Original D Courage, Yoshioka and Daya versus Doi and Eita. And the main event for this show is Gold Class versus Zebrats, Shun, Hyo, and Ishin. Uh, just going through the Nagoya show here. They have a, a lot of stuff happening on this Nagoya show. Uh, opener is Eita, Kakuda, Dragon, Problem Dragon, and Nagano, your Perfect Strangers pairing of the night, versus the entire M3K. Amochi, Junior, Susumu, and Kanda. Don Fuji versus Yoshiki Kato singles match. Uh, Minorita and Ryofuda reappearing. Ryofuda, I think the first time since uh, Dangerous Gate, making an appearance uh, versus Hio and Diamante. Another singles match, Yoshida versus Shimizu. Uh, semi-main event, Natural Vibes, KZ, UT, Kamei, Jason, Zebrats, uh, Shun, Kai, Hulk, and Ishin. Double main event here. Uh, this one is Ultimo Dragon's 35th anniversary and Dragon Kid's 25th anniversary special is a special singles match. When we talk about Nagoya, you mentioned that uh, that Dragon Kid is from Aichi, also from Nagoya, Ultimo Dragon. So big time for that. They're going to rerun 
anniversary matches there. And then the second part of the double main event, it is the original decursed pairing, Yoshioka and Daya versus Gold Class, Minora and Benkei. This is the Goya show, man. There's a lot here. Brief comment on Kyoto. I think it's interesting that Gold Class versus Zebrats is headlining over Decourage versus Doi and Eita. Do you... I, I don't know what to make of that other than that I think it's a little odd. Yeah, and and you never know what happens in Kyoto, but you would want to build up your Dreamgate match. God, Mochizuki versus Fuji and Kanto is a fun match. That's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of meat on the bone on these shows here. Case each of the singles matches, I, I mean, other than Cyber Kong versus Shimizu, look awesome on this weekend too. Okay, and then okay, so check this out too. I'm into the I've, I'm into Dragon Gate right now. I, I took a week off during Thanksgiving. I didn't watch anything Dragon Gate. I watched only other wrestling. I I am back in that uh that Yamaguchi show on December 9th, Last two matches: Yamato and Dragon Kid versus KZ and Jason Lee, and main event: D Courage versus Shun Hyo and Diamante. Those are those are two matches right up our alley, and I would expect those to make YouTube. You know what match I think will also make that YouTube digest on that showcase? Mochi versus Ichikawa? Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe my favorite half hour of wrestling happening this year. <laughs> what, a, what a bold claim. Um, uh, Case, <laughs> you, you know that I sometimes like to partake of the dark arts and wrestling that might not be liked by a lot of people here, but... Stalker Ichikawa versus Masaki Mochizuki in a comedy match is, is a good time in 1999, tw- 2009, 2019. It'll be a good time in 2029. I, I have no argument there. Fair point. Yeah, but those two shows we'll talk about next week on the program. Both of them are up on, will be on Dragon Gate Live, the Dragon Gate Network, of course, the Nagoya show. Actually, no sign-up required. I thought they were trying to get people to sign up for the site. Uh, just go there and watch. Uh, it's 2 a.m. for Nagoya on the East Coast, and then that's 7 Grinch Mean Time. Yeah, I love this Nagoya show. I mean, Fuji versus Kato. Even that Minorita and Fuda versus Hyo Diamante, that could be a ton of fun. Um, Great-looking vibes versus Zebras, and then the double main event. Uh, what are the odds that Dragon Kid and Ultimo uh, gets a Zebrats run-in and then some sort of Ultimo Dragon Kid versus Zebrats match? Well, the odds aren't on the board case because that's such an overwhelming favorite. There you go. All right. I mean, yeah. look, I I am very much in favor of Ultimo working meaningless undercard tags. I think he's a perfectly fine wrestler there. As I said, and this was not a popular opinion, but Ultimo versus Santo at his anniversary show was getting sad until Paris interfered and Paris saved, Paris saved that match. So uh, let's hope for the same on this show as well. Yeah, they they both might be from Nagoya, but I don't think anyone outside of Ultimo's immediate family really needs to see a singles match of him in 2022. Again, love love him as an undercard wrestler, but oh, absolutely. N- n- no business uh, seeing him in, in any sort of important matches anymore. A- as an agent of chaos case, I think he's the best. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Naturally. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, but, like, like seriously, if you're going to ask me about Ultimo Dragon 2022, you know what the first thing coming to mind is. Which is, oh, him unilaterally deciding that the uh, that the clap crowd restrictions was over. 
almost got them kicked out of Cork and Hall. I mean, he almost Anoki Vader Drangate out of the most important building in all of Japanese wrestling. Yeah, people don't realize how, how but like that 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 was bad. That was real bad. Uh, Rio Saito really had to put in some work there. No, there was a shoot conversation between Rio Saito, Ultimo Dragon, and the Tokyo Police Department. <laughs> And you all wonder why people aren't snapping immediately back and cheering. <laughs> uh, I, Mike, I, I, I have some breaking Drangate news before we go away. Oh, please. Uh, December special guest. We are going to get the wrestler, and I, I know I'm going to butcher his name because I've read it a hundred times. I don't know if I've ever said it out loud. Uh, Gaina, G-A-I-N-A. Is that how you would pronounce that? Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the longtime Michinoku pro wrestler, he is going to be on Gate of Origin and Sendai, and then Toru Awashi will be showing up at Final Gate 2022 this year, meaning that Joe Lanza will have an irrational hatred of that show for no reason. Hey, uh, what do you think that says that they're only getting Gaina for the Sendai show? Ugh, I mean, well, do they have... Let's, they, I mean, they've used Michinoku Pro guys in the past, but I don't think they had a special guest last year, did they? I don't think I had a special guest because Yamato was champion. Mm. <laughs> and that is a special guest. Let's yeah. see, what do they do, what do, they do in... Now, because I'm, it, now I'm so curious if, if this has been a reoccurring theme. Because obviously last year they wouldn't have made it because they had the, the Yamato stuff and then the... Debuts. The debuts. I, I, in the past, it was not necessarily even Michinoku Pro, but it was someone who was to Oh, so the, the Sendai Girls girls. Yeah. Main and event of 2020, Hulk and Kai versus KZ and Yamato. I do not remember that at all. It's like a lot of that three-way feud. It ran together, man. Yeah, I wonder if that was good. I gotta, I gotta look that <laughs> up. Um, yeah, Sendai Girls there, 2019 was the Hulk, Kagatora, Kai, Yamato versus Dragon Kid, Sasuke, Shed, uh, Jinsei Shinzaki, and Ultimo Dragon match. And then 2018 was Yoshino versus Ben. God, but top, you... top, they loaded up that first. Yeah. It was Genki, Keizi, and Susumu versus Kagatora, UT, and Maria, which is the trio that turned UT's career around. Ata versus Punch, which, you know, again, 2018 Dragon Gate. Let's not act like uh, it was all that great. Yamato and Hulk versus Don Fuji and Ryo Saito, 25 minutes. Let's not act like 2018 Dragon Gate was great. And then it wasn't Yoshino versus Benke. It was Yoshino versus Takashi Yoshida. That's a... That's a shitty lineup of title matches. <laughs> but but that that sucks. I mean, you get them in the door of Yoshino and you back it up with a Michinoku Pro Legend. Oh my god, Ata and Punch a 25-minute Bicycle Brothers match in Yoshino versus Yoshida. God. It's great living in 2022. This promotion rocks. Anybody that doesn't like current Dragon Gate is a fucking dork. And I think that's the best note for us to go out on, Kay's. Uh Any any last thoughts before we, we come to a close? No, I just remember I have to go to the store to pick something up before I go to bed, so I need to go. Yep. Uh, but you can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. Uh, rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. That's the best way to get more people to find out about your local Dragon System podcast. Uh, I'm at Fujiheya. Case is at underscore in your case. Thanks for listening to the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week talking about this banger that's going to happen in Nagoya. Take care, everyone. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast 
devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.